Sony Santa Monica, I in Castlevania. And Sony's finally clapping down on Easy Platts. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square Day PlayStation Podcast. I am your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, in the absence of one sickly Mr. Chris Figs, we have Mr. Bad Bit, yeah, Mr. Bad Bit himself, uh, Joseph Moran. Is that how you say your last name? Yeah, you I said it I didn't correctly. Say it. God bless. That. I love it. From you the PS Trophy Room, That's a right. PlayStation Podcast. You may have noticed we were there last week. Uh, so, Joe, how are you? Dude, I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm just so sad. I feel like I feel like the shtick should now be that we're never going to meet Chris. Like I'm never going to see Chris. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. hear stories of Chris. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know if he's we, real. We have a long running joke at this point where anyone who's been on the show and then for some reason is not. We did another co- podcast for a while, a movie podcast. Yeah. And whenever someone leaves or someone's not around, we always say like they're ghosts, they're spectral forms. <laughs> so at this point, you're just you're you're hearing stories of the ghosts of, uh, exactly. of Chris Figs. Of Chris, yeah. man. Rest in peace, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like I said last week, I had the honor of sitting with Joe and Kyle on their podcast. And this week, I hope the honor is all Mr. Joe's. So before we get into a week full of Sony's investments into China, PlayStation, Cross Honda, and the weirdest crossover, and saying goodbye to Volition, let's start this show off the only way that I know how, by checking in on what our esteemed guest, Mr. Joe, has been up to and what he's been playing. So, Joe, I pass the floor to you, sir. I have been playing one game because we are a PlayStation podcast after all. Um, I have beaten God of War Ragnarok as of speaking, right? The reason why I was like five minutes, I'll be on in five minutes was because I am literally five minutes away from the platinum. Like I am that close. I just have to finish up the crucibles, uh, challenges, which I have one left. And let me tell you something about the crucible. Uh, Not a fan, not a fan of how they (laughs) laid it out, but nonetheless, it's a fantastic game all around and I am enjoying myself. It just sucks nice. that you can't talk too much about it because there's just there are things I want to say, Brett. There are things that I need to get off my chest about this experience, and I I can't go more than five hours deep or else I'm spoiling something. It's oh, nuts. for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny to kind of peel the the curtain back. Uh, me and Joe spent quite a bit of time before we actually started recording, kind of recamping our, our own thoughts on the game. And uh, now that we've both finished it, because I too have been playing one game and one game only. Uh, really, God of War Ragnarok. I technically played Hot Wheels Unleashed with my uh, my little nephew, who's uh, five. He wanted to play a racing game. Win? I was like, let's do it. Oh, absolutely. Lo- no. Yeah. Not raising. He's 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 young enough. Now hold on. My rule, six years old, gloves come off. No. That's no. my that's my it's my rule with my daughter. We were playing, I spent thirty-five minutes playing Connect Four with her, and she <laughs> genuinely won once against me because I was focusing too much on my plan. Yeah. Uh, but we played for thirty minutes and I kept winning. And I would tell her, slow down, let's take a look. You yeah. gotta learn how to play the game. Uh, and I gotta give it to her. She didn't give up. No, I'm man, hey, listen, right when you're out of the womb, prepare to lose. You know, this is a bloodborne family. This is a souls born family. And you're going to learn to appreciate loss because I'm not life prepare to die edition. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm crushing it. Like connect four. No, I'd be like, you dumb, dumb idiot. I, I won again. Jenga, My you got nothing thing. on me. My favorite thing yeah. was looking her dead in the eye as I looked at her not go where she needed to to block me. And then before I even put it in, go connect four and watching her eyes go. 
Yeah, no, immediately. You're, you're going to start losing. Yeah, these kids, huh? they get medals for everything. No, you're going to earn it. You're going to earn it. You're going to pull house. it back. Yeah. Pull it back. I, yeah. I want to be depressed for a week when I finally lose. That's <laughs> that's the goal. I'm not I'm not here to go easy on you. But that depression yeah, will come with a very, it's a seedling of pride deep within, right? No, no pride. No, just depression. <laughs> it's like, all right. Now, now oh. I know my kid can kick my butt. You know, that's gonna be. That's and at that be. point, there's no going back. You know, it's it's the it's the father son dynamic, of your son always being like, I think my dad can whoop my ass. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know if you ever had those moments when I was growing up. I remember me and my friends, as stupid as it sounds, thinking back on it. But I was like 11, and me and my friend were like, my dad is cooler than your dad. My dad would whoop your dad's ass. Mm-hmm. Stupid. But you know yeah. you gotta you gotta think your dad's uh, super infallible and cool until one day you realize I, t- I could totally throw hands on my dad and take it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, if he's walking down the stairs first, I could give him a good shove. Like he doesn't know what's coming to him. You yeah. know, it's about it's the- been a paradigm shift. He's got bad knees and a bad back now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all on me now. But no, honestly, that that's awesome that you're spending time with your nephews playing games. Like they're the you know they're cool with it. They're oh, hip to the video games. They love it. And actually, just because I, it, it's, it's a big thing, because we talked about Gran Turismo 7, he, it was all in whenever I had my racing wheel set up. Uh, because of the way my gaming room is set up, I have to move my coffee table. It's a big process to get it set up. Uh, and so that day I'd been working because I'm, I'm remodeling a house. Uh, so whenever I got done, we came over. He's like, can we play games? I said, yeah, I told you I'd let you. So I said, we'll play a racing game, Hot Wheels Unleashed. He loves Hot Wheels, but he loves playing Gran Turismo 7 in the racing chair. So I'll be the oh, gas cool. and the and the brake, but he'll be he'll do all the driving. That's awesome. Okay. See yeah. that that's that's yeah, that that's that's beautiful. It's awesome because you're the uncle, then you get to have all the fun with him, feed him all the sugar, and then you just like throw him, throw him back to the parents. Like, here you go. <laughs> have fun, <laughs> champ. Yeah, yeah. I like when I get to do that with my daughter. Like send oh. her off somewhere and be like, "Ha you get to take care of her." I love my daughter, <laughs> yeah. but you know, as is always the case, kids can be a lot sometimes, and oh. you know, they're out for Thanksgiving this week, so it's been a a hectic. hectic yeah, time. nobody has been able to sell me parenthood good because everybody's like, "I'm tired, my back hurts, I have no free time, it's soul crushing," and I, and I'm like, "Oh, that sounds awful." He's like, best best feeling in the world, man. I'm like, really? Because this yeah, sounds. Dude, I- like a I whole lot of chores it, I don't want to do. Yeah, I wouldn't call it soul crushing. It's it, you know, it's it's hard work that is very rewarding when you see the fruits of your labor come out. Yeah. But you know, a lot of it is that I am a very playful person by nature, and my wife just really isn't. So my my wife is more strictly nurture, whereas I'm really the rough and tumble play. So I do that kind of play with her. I play dolls with her. I danced with her yesterday. I have zero clue how to dance, but she was she was insistent <laughs> that we needed a dance and she wanted to have fun. So we sit there and choreographed a whole dance and it was a goofy dance. We were having fun nice. while we were doing it. But it, it is interesting because my wife's not big on games either. She doesn't mind them, but mm. she's... She the way she it. is, yeah, she's, she's not big on play. That's just not, mm. like, she likes to joke and have a little bit of fun, but she's not big on actual play, like physical play of any kind. Gotcha. She'll do it. If she needs to, like, you know, typically when I'm doing the podcast, she'll fill in the role and, and play with her, play dolls and Barbies. But that almost always has fallen on me. So uh, in one way, it's like I have a daughter, but I've raised her just in the way that I live my life to some degree. So I give yeah. in to her wants. But in a way, she's also got very 
uh, typically boy driven hobbies to a degree. N- not mm-hmm. all the way. Like she's, I wouldn't call her a tomboy or anything like that. She's very girly when she feels the need to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. She likes princesses and stuff, but she's also like me and her have had a dollar fifty bet on who's going to win each other against wrestling. So we've been like punching each other <laughs> in the living room and downing each other. And every week we just passed a dollar fifty to whoever won. You know, your wife's like, could you please not? Suplex our daughter into the <laughs> dining room. She has to learn. You can't just you only win learn in life. one way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I get her on the ropes, and then I, I come in with the uh, you know the little what is it three six nine that uh yeah. <laughs> I, I don't watch enough wrestling. Okay, no, no, same here. I know suplex, and that's about as far as I go. RKO. Ray oh Mysterio? my god, to see her is that RKO? Yeah. <laughs> that'd be that'd be her hitting the brother. ground. <laughs> Loved wrestling, so you know. <laughs> I just yeah, love man. sitting back and going, wow, wow. <laughs> hey, real talk, too. Speaking of, like, video games, because I've I've been playing another game called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Um, Look at you go. I know. I'm pretty much MLG pro, humble brag. But I've come <laughs> to the realization, wow, there's these kids out there that um, are showing me my age, and I don't mm. I don't really appreciate it anymore. Like, I'm, I'm getting, I, I don't know if you've come to the realization, but, like, I'm not good at, I'm not great at video games like I used to be anymore. Like, I'm still good. Don't get me wrong. But, like, some of these kids are doing the drop shot, 360 no-scopes, and I just can't I, – I can't compete anymore. I don't know. Are, I, think, are you, I, I think that I get what you're saying, but I think the difference comes that you have adult responsibilities. Sure. And this is what I'd say. I bet if you could put as much time as they are to that being the only game you play, you could get there. Because I have a coworker so. who's 35 who plays exclusively Call of Duty. That's it. That's all yeah. he ever plays. He's really good because he's never trying to pull that gameplay skill across multiple, uh, you know, t- types of games. He's I, he played God of War Ragnarok, but he beat it in a weekend and then oh, really? immediately was back on. Yeah, and he did no side content. That's not that he, he loves games, but like those types of games, he beats the story, and moves on. He's never had mm. a platinum because he just he doesn't care about side stuff or doing mm. that. But I think the okay. game he's done the most extra stuff in, ironically, is The Witcher Three. He beat both DLCs, but he literally oh, wow. just beat the main story of yeah. each DLC and then the main I, story of the game. So, so I got a question that'd be for my you. Thing. Yeah, go ahead. And, I, and, I, and maybe this could go for another question down the road. But when it comes to trophies, are you the trophy hunter? Like, I have this game, so I need to plat this game. Or no. are you like me, where it's just like, I have to love this game in order to have platinumed it? Yeah, like, Chris is the Chris is the trophy hunter. Now yeah. he doesn't platinum every game, but he approaches every game with the intent to platinum, and then he moves from there. I approach every game of I'm going to play this game. I'm going to have fun. And then if I fall in love with the game, it will have earned my passion for me to push forward to getting a platinum. And there's actually okay. some fun questions in relation to that we'll get to here in a little bit. Okay, um, okay. But I'm, yeah, I'm are, you, are you much on... So you, you trophy hunt, but you're yeah. not what you would call a trophy hunter necessarily? No, I would say like I platinum anywhere between like two to five games every year. So like... I'm a little higher than that. Yeah, it, it really has to be a game that I, I appreciate, I love, and I'm going to attempt to go for the plat. But if I can't, there's, I feel like every trophy hunter has this, or every every PlayStation gamer probably has a little something. There is a threshold where it's like, okay, to me, 70% is enough to say that I really love this game. Mm. That's, that, yeah. that's If I can't go for the plat, I will go as far as I can. That's That's my rule. Let's see, I'm at... Eight platinums this year. 
Oh, not Ooh, nine, because I platinum 12 minutes as well. I am at, I believe... Oh, wait, Doki Doki Literature Club. Was that this year? I don't remember when I got the platinum in that. That game was great. I am at I three platinums this year, year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Three or four. But I will have two this week, because I'm going to platinum Ragnarok, and I'm going to platinum uh, Modern Warfare 2. So Man. Like, All right. Yeah. This week, hey, I'm look crushing at you go. it. I know. Look at you go. I mean, right, listen, well, cool. humble brag, I'm unemployed at the moment, so it works. Hey, I dream of the day that I can say that for even a week. If I could just, <laughs> you know, but I make too good of money and yeah. I like my freedom of my job. So I yeah. just, I rest in this thing where it's like, ah, damn, my family needs me. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter needs One to day. eat cheese. Ah, she needs, she needs education and housing. <laughs> damn it. No. Damn it. Uh, so... It kind of coming into the fact that this is the uh, the Thanksgiving week, and I hope uh, I don't want to say too much, but I have a feeling. I know y'all guys recorded yesterday, correct? Yep. No, you can let it rip. I I just saw it. I just saw the question. Oh no, you're good. My, my <laughs> either way, uh, we're coming into Thanksgiving, and I was hoping that this was going to be with you filling in a, a considerably different type of episode to what I feel like I knew from being behind the scenes what y'all were intending to record yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that in mind, we're going to have a little fun with Thanksgiving week coming in. And awesome, Dave one three three seven, one of our patrons and of care, of course, one of our shared audience members. He says, "Please ask Joe what banger sweet num nums he is looking forward to on Thanksgiving." Man, Awesome Dave is kind of a piece of and I'm just here to tell you that as <laughs> I've met Awesome Dave in real life. Uh, we, we raised money together in Rome, New York, um, where he consistently trolled me in real life, as well wow. as here. So y'all don't know this, but I hate two words. I hate many words. And in fact, many <laughs> things and people. But there are two things in particular I, I can't stand. I hate the word banger. When people are like, oh, this is a triple A banger, bangerific. Like this, it's just such a lazy word to describe something. It's so, it's a lame attempt to be young, I feel. It's just like, embrace <laughs> it. Right? Like that's not, like kids are not, kids are not unironically saying banger. I, I will, no, they're not saying it. Let's, you know, we're old, embrace it. Just say this game is, is stellar. Great. Use words that are just, I don't know, actual words instead of banger. Because, like, if you're in the UK, I found out that means something totally different. So I, 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 hate, I hate <laughs> that word. The other word I hate, um, I, I don't even know how it came up, but sweet num nums. Uh, sounds, sounds grotesque. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Yeah. But now... My community at the Trophy Room is the most positive place in the world, but it's getting a little toxic because they know things that I don't like. And so they're just like, we're going to trigger you. So like Sweet Num Nums just freaks me out because I don't like it. I don't like the word. Is there something maternal about it? Or is there something oddly Freudian about it where it's like you have that thing where it sounds too sexual while sitting? (laughs) Because in Rugrats... Uh, there was like this one scene, where, like a nightmare scene, I think, and he's like num num, and I'm like, and that scene freaked me out. So I don't like the word num nums because I think about that <laughs> that kid, and now people are like sweet num num this banger that, and I'm like hey, guys, come on, you know, relax. Yeah. But what's my favorite food on Thanksgiving that I'm looking forward to? 
Let's uh, humble brag. My brother is the cook in the house. He's been cooking the turkey for over a decade now. And <laughs> the, uh, the, the last slow year, cooked. slow cooked, uh, he, he got a smoker. And so he's oh. been smoking the turkey. And let me tell you, oh my God, guys, it is the juiciest piece of meat who that you'll ever taste. It's delicious. Man, so, I have a smoker that my wife got me for my birthday and she cooked and I mean, don't worry, I don't blame this on her. It just happened to be that she cooked and it rained and I was new to them. I didn't really think about the fact that you're, it's a pellet smoker. I didn't think that you had to take the pellets out. So it rained and enough water was able to blow into my porch to get into where they're at. So the auger that pushes them out to let it, they're just dried in there. And I have yet to be able to get that auger freeze to get oh everything no. out. So I can't even use my smoker this year. <laughs> After I, I, I used it for months and was loving it. And I mean, we'd cook burgers. I was like, man, this is the best food I've ever made. And yeah. then this happened and I was like, damn. Yeah. So I was trying to get it worked out before this week and I tried everything I could. I have one more idea, but that's unfortunate. Um, it's funny. You, you're talking about Banger being a, <laughs> a lazy attempt a trying word. to sound young. I yeah. just imagine that there's some dude that you chose to use the word stellar. I imagine there's like some 60-year-old dude who's like, that's just his lame attempt at trying to sound young. <laughs> <laughs> he should use a real word like it's a robust game. <laughs> These young whippersnappers, they don't understand. <laughs> there's always... You know, it's kind of like when people say that everybody's built on the on the backs of giants. It's like, yeah. so if everybody stands on the back of giants, doesn't that mean eventually you become a giant yourself? I mean, it's kind of God what was. it comes down to, which is, I yeah. guess, hey, you know what? Nice way to look at the world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Joe, we're going to move ahead into our community's take. And if you do not know, our community's take is where we, at the end of the previous episode, form a question that we ask to the community at large and have them send back their thoughts so that we can get differing views and opinions that may align with ours, may not, and they kind of gives a good position for people to be able to push back against us and helps us stay kind of in line with some of the more general gaming populace. So to be part of the community's take, you can follow us on social media. We're over on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us in a Facebook group called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. If you ask to be entered in over there, I'll gladly let you in. And then lastly, you can always find us in our Discord, which we have linked in the description below. There is a dedicated community's take section where we ask the question, and you can answer. So with that in mind, we always give priority reading to our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash nartech and give us as little as a dollar per month. It's a huge help. Helps us keep the show going. I know that I can speak for Joe and Kyle as well when they when we say that having the burden of having to think about those aspects taken off your back really helped keep the show a little more jovial and fun. And it's just a nice thing to know that you can keep things, uh, keep the lights on metaphorically. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, Joe, the question from last week that we asked was with plenty of people looking at the game awards uh, at timely and questioning why games that released shortly after the cutoff last year were in their opinion skipped over for nominations by and large when do you think an ideal time to give awards are for games early january so all the 2022 games can be accounted for some other time or is the current setup fine do you have a different idea um so over on twitter uh, and I think this is someone new to the show, so I like to highlight people who I notice are newer, potentially listening and interacting. Uh, Dorian the Critic. Does that sound familiar to you, Joe? No, no. Hello, Dorian. All Welcome right. well, aboard, hello. mate. Yeah, he says, in my opinion, 
an ideal time to give out the awards would be somewhere around the middle of the following year. Ooh. Okay. That way, all of the nominated games would at least have half a year in the market and thus a certain amount of exposure to the public. That's interesting. And I think it brings us around to a question of what should game awards be for? And, you know, Kyle last week talked about DICE and how there's kind of the more developer-oriented awards where it's developers giving awards within their own industry. Uh, And then there's more of the consumer-facing awards. And I guess the question there is, what should dictate the consumer-facing awards? Because a lot of what we see is that it's people who are just media figures within gaming who are answering on our behalf. But then that does bring up a very reasonable question of, who are we all to say that they should speak for gaming at large? And not to say that they can't or shouldn't, but he really paints a picture of looking more at making sure that more people who are actually the intended market have gotten time with it. What do you think of that? I like where their head's at, because to me, it, it removes the business aspect of what mm-hmm. these award shows really are. Um, and, you know, we talked a little bit about it on last week's episode of The Trophy Room, which is, you know, there's the business element of all these things. You know, we look at the Jeff Keighley Award Show as the de facto award show, when we technically really shouldn't, because it's just one of several uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, the mainstream news outlets uh, uh, give out. But his is the most prominent because he's just such, he does such a good job at marketing this show. So mm-hmm. you think of it as the Oscars when in actuality, is it? I don't, I don't really think so. Um, but I would say this, if there wasn't a marketing element or business element, you know, this show needs to be put together each and every year. It needs to be paid for. It needs to, you know, fund editors, hosts, and all that stuff, (laughs) uh, you know, get their paychecks rolling. Yeah, then middle of next year sounds great. Or even February, you know, like the Oscars is usually, what, like January, February, like around there, Mm -hmm. so that you get away from the the recency bias from some of the big games that launch in the holiday. But the sad reality of it is that the game awards is still small. It still needs to grow and it still needs that cash flow. So, you know, to reference uh, another show I'm on called cast co-op over at season gaming over on YouTube, um, you know, our good buddy Ains made the point of, you know, a lot of these companies have the most ad spend during the holiday season. So it's mm-hmm. easier for Jeff to go to these, you know, possible advertisers to throw money their way or his way because they already have so much in the bank right now willing to give that if he asks in the beginning of the year, that ad spend is significantly uh, uh, lower. So mm-hmm. that's the sad business aspect of things. So for me, I, I actually have a, it's ever evolving, so stick with me. But currently, my thoughts is I don't really mind the cutoff as long as the cutoff makes sense, which I feel like this year it doesn't because there are so many games that just came out that somehow didn't make the cutoff, though it, it is the 18th, mm-hmm. that were stellar games. And I think of games like Pentiment not being in, in best narrative as something that is very questionable why it's, it's not there. Uh, and you know, I'll I'll be the surrogate here for Kyle and say there are some sports games like MLB the Show that are legitimately great that aren't here. So to me, I feel like the misses are that the games 
that have already come out that are legitimately great are missing in certain categories. And that's having us scratching our heads at the moment. That yeah, makes any sense. I think that's fair. Sorry, that was a I, TED talk. <laughs> no, dude, that's that's fair. That's fine. Yeah. I, and I like a lot of what you said. You know, last week, as you mentioned on your show, uh, I had said that the, the sad reality of everything is that business and art seldom flow together well. And that is the truth. At the end of the day, ad dollars drive everything. So yeah. I can understand that. But I think no matter what, because it would put the burden on us as as a group of of gamers at large. The only way you'd ever get something approaching what you're even wanting would be for a lot of people to do this completely out of their own pocket with no intentions of getting money back. And that's just a little too idealistic. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I love the idea, it's, it's something that it, in practice is seldom going to work that way. And I'm, if I could just spitball another thing where people maybe throw a pitchfork or two at me is, um, I don't want gamers to decide it. Like, I don't want this to be by popular vote. Like, we just saw the golden joysticks just came out, which is another mm-hmm. award show. And somehow on God's green perfect earth, uh, Elden Ring won best multiplayer game. And listen, I'm a Soulsborne fanatic. I've platinum Elden Ring. I love, love from software, but best multiplayer game, a from software game. Let's relax. So, you know, to me, I do trust, (laughs) I do have some faith in institutions like the outlets that we currently have. And maybe there's some bias because I know a few people that work at them that I, I, I trust the process enough that, yeah, I don't want, I don't want mainstream gamers, uh, to, to have that much of an influence because we are very fickle and loyal. At the same exact time, <laughs> folk. Like we, yeah. if we want Elden Ring to win, we will get Elden Ring to win everything. You know, we no, will make Dogecoin right. happen as just a meme. We're very chaotic. I think is, is yeah, the word it, I really want to use. It's funny because I, I think sometimes the weirdest groups of people have that quality. Uh, like you know, on the music side of things, I'm actually ironically wearing the shirt. Uh, Coheed and Cambria is a really they're, they're they've grown band. a lot in recent years. You know, they're a great band. I love them, yeah. but if you look at their fan base, they don't have to do anything. Their fan base mobilize themselves to yep. where even competitions against some of the largest bands that are social media based and stuff, they just blow it out of the water. Cause it's like, yep. they go, they vote constantly. They spread it with everybody. And they're like, everyone who likes Coheed vote. And all they're doing is getting all of these niche people to work towards one goal. When, as we all know, the, the sad reality of voting, whether it be political or just hobbyist things, is that a vast majority of the population just don't vote. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. what it's for. So seldom are votes even truly indicative of what the majority of people want. It's just interesting how you can really make a certain group of people really storm off in one direction. So if you wanted art, if you wanted Stray to win every award and you could get enough people who adored Stray, you could probably make that happen. Yes. Realistically, if you just knew where to set things off, you could probably make that happen to where the whole award ceremony is a Stray wins best music. Stray wins <laughs> best art. Stray wins best voice acting. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what the it's, I mean, that cap did perform, idea, it's, it's, it's butt off there, but yeah. The idea of a write-in vote for uh, gaming awards is <laughs> is wild to think yeah. of. All right, moving on. Rude Days 93, one of our patrons, a uh, longtime patron at this point, he says the most fair way would definitely be have it at the beginning of January. That way, everything in the year would be included. 
And everyone would have time to play some of those games during the holiday break. End of the day, though, there's always going to be big snubs. Modern Warfare 2 is the most popular game in the world now and is never considered a Game of the Year contender. Mm. Last year, Forza Horizon 5 had the highest rated Metacritic and wasn't nominated. I do understand why these games weren't nominated, but it's odd to say that the Game of the Year awards did not include the highest selling and highest rated games in the category, which kind of circles back to what we're saying is that, you know, we're sales don't equate to everything, but in a world where business is something, it kind of does matter to a degree. But <laughs> if anything, the fact that got, that uh, Call of Duty seems to almost always miss award shows seems like it's the industry trying to balance out the fact that it's so big. Yeah. But I struggle with that because Fortnite has won enough stuff and it's huge too. It's bigger <laughs> than Call of Duty, arguably. At least it has been in its height. So I mean, that's a good argument. I think when you bring up Fortnite, it's a really good argument because, like, Call of Duty sells well, but is it mm-hmm. the best game? Like, best in sales, I don't think there are a good comparison. Like, Madden sells a bunch, but when you see how it's rated year in, year out, it's like it's, it's women in sixes and sevens, and it's comfortable with that because the game sells so well. When you take a look at Call of Duty, you take a look at its open critic, and it's women in sevens as well. Sometimes a, 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 a low eight, but like, it's, it's a perfectly fine game that the masses really, really dig and enjoy, and there's a huge following to it. So, sure. you know, to me, I'm more concerned about the uh, Forza Horizon 5, which is a legitimately stellar game. It is constantly some of the the best racing out there as a novice. I can even appreciate that game for what it does, um, definitely in its sound department. Um so to me, I'm 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 surprised. Yeah, that it 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 got snubbed. So I think I I think the the true thing about the awards right now this year is I think that they need to have a rethink about not how when the cutoff is, but a rethink of what are these what do these categories really mean, who and who's really on there? Because it seems like to me, it is um a weird popularity contest because stray should not be up for game of the year. I I love stray. I platted that game, but to me, I'm like, there are a lot of better indie games out there than stray. And is stray in there because it hits an SEO, uh, you know, algorithm type of thing. That's what I'm kind of thinking. I think that's where the true problem is. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about it's a terrible it's a terrible reason to choose a game as someone who loves games. It's a, a fantastic reason to choose a game as someone who's worried about business. Um, so, and, and moving on, I, I want to do another one, and I put Jehudi's in here first yeah. and foremost because he's a patron, and thank you, Jehudi. He's been listening for forever. But I like that he is actually one of the, more or less, he's landing on the flip side argument in that. Okay. Ultimately, it makes sense as to why it's here. So he says, I see their point of having the celebration in December as most major games would have been released by that point. Logically, it's better to do it in January. But otherwise, December is a good month given the holiday. People looking into buying consoles games. And maybe they'll stumble upon the Game Awards to find the next big game. And I think what's interesting is he's not really looking at that from the perspective of the value for companies or even mm. the game awards itself. He's saying that flip that and look at the value to consumers. The value to consumers is that it drives all sorts of things to help you get things that you need. There's game award sales games that get nominated tend to go on steep sale. And they're normally some of the best games that year, or at least yeah. have a high chance of working for a large chunk of gamers. 
And then, of course, you have the visibility that brings to certain things. So it can give somebody that moment of, hey, I didn't know what that was. And then I saw it on here. And even if I just saw the nomination and passing on Twitter, it brought something new to my mind uh, at a time of the year where I had time to play it with the holidays or I had the money, whatever it may be. So that's an interesting flip side argument. And I, I like how everyone's kind of saying, like, for us as fans, logically, we can see early the next year. But... I think everyone kind of contends with the fact that the business is unfortunate, yeah, but reasonable. But I like I, that this is a little more optimistic for consumers. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I really dig that as well. And it's a good argument when you talk about like what we talked about earlier about ad spend. Like, yeah, when do people have money to spend? Typically, holidays. So, like, celebration yeah, not, of not games, just something. corporations, but consumers. Yeah, yeah. So, like the. They see, well, we'll take straight one more time. Like, well, okay, this cat game, now I got to check it out. Let's see what it's all about. I mean, uh, you know, I, I know so many people, like, I think you mentioned it prior, like, with Hades. So, like, mm. to me, I, 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 I like where Derek's head's at. I, I, I tend to agree with that logic. Uh, with Jehudi, but Derek is the sorry, next Jehudi. one up on the list. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I had, to, I had to scroll down the notes. I'm sorry. I'm bad. Yeah, Judy, no, you're fine. you have all the credit. You're smart. Derek, we're going to see you in a second. Let's see where your head's at. <laughs> Derek says January makes more sense. Uh, by holding it in December, they probably don't have time to consider anything made after no- November 14th or so. So it's really the game of the past 11 months, not a year. Derek's a longtime listener, longtime patron. Derek, hope you're doing well. You and that family of yours. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you said something that I think is probably the closest thing to a, a quick and easy answer for this is that the cutoff ultimately doesn't matter if A, the cutoff tries in all reality to hit the majority of games. And then yeah. secondarily, if you do not allow the cutoff to mean that games that slightly miss it are just snubbed the next year due to nothing more than time, because yeah. they're really, you know, the only flip argument to this that I think is crazy, and I'm not even, I haven't played the game in a long time, so this is not a value judgment on my part, but I adored Halo Infinite when it first came out. The multi, the, the story, the campaign was pretty good. Sure. The most fun I had was in the very linear sections under, I thought the open world was kind of boring, yeah. <laughs> but they swung and they tried. I mean, you know, Final yeah, Fantasy absolutely. 15 did the same thing. Yeah. They, they tried and succeeded in various aspects, failed <laughs> in many others, but the multiplayer was fantastic. And it's funny that the game, for me personally, the reason I even stopped playing it was strictly that every week it would get worse. Yeah. They would the content would not get updated enough. They wouldn't add enough. They would th- they'd have a pretty bad <laughs> battle pass in all honesty. But then more importantly, the thing that really knocked me out of it was that they kept having netcode issues to where every week it was like the problem would worsen and worsen. And boards online were talking about how. The issue with lag in the server meant that you could be in front of someone, melee them, and the game would register it that you smacked them in the back of the head. And, mm. and that's a one-shot melee. But you, mm. everything you saw and everything that the other person saw was like, that doesn't add up. So it's like, it was frustrating because playing the game correctly just became an issue. And then there wasn't enough support. They weren't really answering questions. So it fell out of my graces. And the irony is that the cutoff might have actually somehow been beneficial to having Halo Infinite be looked at far more positively in 2021 than it now would be looked at in 2022, just because it's lived long enough to have people see the flaws. And it's like the inverse of recency bias where enough time has passed and the product continues to evolve in enough ways that you go, 
even if it was great at first, it couldn't keep that momentum. And now it wouldn't deserve that same credit in December of 2022 as it would have maybe in January of or December of 2021. Because if if they moved that that date up for Halo, it would absolutely have been like last year's multiplayer game. Of the, they're like, oh, they nailed it. But then like after December and after so many promises then broken or pushed back, um, you know, I'm a huge Halo fan as well. Um, you just you just get disheartened. And I dropped that game, I believe, in March, and I have not gone back um, yeah. because of it. And, and it hurts in that that regard. So I really like where where your head's at here because to me it is like the the inverse of uh, of recency bias. So like we've seen it for all of its flaws and for all of its shortcomings and all of its uh, things it does right. And now we get. Because we have more time with it, maybe it doesn't belong here. And Which I guess is the logical continuation of something like recency bias is that you have less time. Recency bias is happening because you've had less time to be more critical on, the, on something or let it sit with you and really process it. And games from the beginning of the year, no matter how great you felt like they were when you're off the high of playing them, you've had time to sit with them and go, this is where they succeeded gratefully and this is where maybe they could have done something a little bit better. And naturally, God of War is a good example of a game that's not going to rightfully get enough of that treatment. Not saying it doesn't deserve anything that it gets but it's no matter what i don't think anyone could strongly argue that people had enough time to sit with that game and really stew on it and that's where some of the value of that six months later into the year that the first response did comes into play because that's quite it's true it would allow recency bias to kind of be away from the picture and it would also allow launch hype to be out of the picture because it's easy to feel high on a game when you're on social media and everyone else is like this game is amazing you're getting positive affirmation when you've had time to sit by yourself and be like what do i personally think of this game free of noise yeah and to me it's also it's kind of what we're going through right now with the trophy rewards as we're making it um we're debating on the cutoff because you know, for us, it's like, okay, so if we put it in December 13th, mm-hmm. then realistically, we're looking at it through the the lens of getting seen, getting noticed. Um, so, like, we don't know when, you know, in, in action, in the, the, the realest of reals, because we love being transparent uh, on the trophy room, is like, we don't know when these, you know, community managers leave and go out on their Christmas vacation or holiday break or whatever have you. And so we want to strike when the iron's hot while at the same exact time giving as many games as we can a shot. So we're taking a look at the Callisto Protocol, a game I'm super excited for. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Dead Space stand, so seeing the spiritual successor. Oh my god, amazing. But we're thinking about putting it on November 29th as the cutoff, and there's a conversation Kyle and I had that we didn't necessarily agree on. I thought, I'm like, you know what? I think it's more exciting if we have Callisto for next year's award show, because that category is going to be so stacked. It's going to be really interesting to see. You have Dead Space, Callisto, Resident Evil, hopefully, you know, Silent Hill all in there, all competing. All of these games are made by incredible developers and incredible IP. Let's see. Yeah, there's a lot of juggernaut IP. Yeah. 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 And so like, to me, I'm like, that's an exciting pick. While Kyle's just like, nah, because it's going to be so far away. But I'm like, Kyle, all these horror games, for the most part, are going to come out by March or April. So I think there's going to be enough time to really stew on all these things. So, yeah. I, you know, it, it, no date is going to be perfect. But I do, I do understand that there's rhymes and reasons as to why they're there. 
Well, and, and you keep touching on the real reality of the the best part of of everything is specifically that we exist. Our, we get to act as a voice for a smaller niche group of people to where they look at what we say in a different light than what someone else says. And I think it's interesting because I don't think it puts an undue pressure on me to try and make sure that I'm looking at certain games that they're going to want to hear because I don't care. I like what I like and I'm yeah. going to say the game that I like. If it's truly my game of the year, that's going to be it. Uh, you know, Greedfall and The Plague Tale were very high up on my list in their, the year they came out. And uh, not to say that that wasn't on anyone's list, but, you know, in a year where, where a bunch of other games came out, typically the heavy hitters are the ones that people tend to throw around in conversation. Like when we've talked about this, everyone's talking about the obvious, oh, God of War and Elden Ring. Horizon is kind of thrown back and forth for some people. But it is more interesting when you can come and say, like, my game of the year is this odd side game that maybe you didn't yeah. hear of. But here's why it was amazing. And being able to be that voice is cool. Uh, but to round this out real quick, uh, our last one comes from patron Mark Schutz. He says, early January seems ideal to me. Otherwise, it's not the full year. And no game released late this year will get a sniff when the nominees are announced next year. Callisto mm-hmm. Protocol is probably one of those, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see. So, yeah, in, in, in wrapping that up, this is kind of an odd question um that i think is fun that comes from one of our patrons rude days 93 uh he says let's have a mini 2023 preview from the game awards category most anticipated game so that's for this year starfield zelda 2 or tears of the kingdom uh, hogwarts legacy final fantasy 16 and resident evil 4 what do you think is the percentage chance that your personal 2023 game of the year will come from that list of games and percentage chance could be whatever you want right i'm just a little insulted spider-man wasn't there why, why spider-man <laughs> even though there? they keep they keep saying they keep saying it's next year they say it's next year and i believe them um i'm gonna say something very as typical trophy room fashion, I'm going to say something rather um, harsh, but I feel like it's correct. Uh, I'm steadfast in my beliefs, dang it, and I would be swayed otherwise. Starfield doesn't look great, and I'm tired of people saying it, it, this This looks amazing. I, I don't thought see Starfield it. looked awful when they showed it, and I yeah. love Bethesda, or at least I've loved many of Bethesda's last games, but here's the kicker. Yeah. This past generation, Bethesda Game Studios specifically, like Bethesda as a publisher has put out some amazing games. Deathloop, Deathloop Dishonored dude. 2. I mean, dude, yeah, they are they are knocking it out of the water, and sadly, they weren't getting many of the sales that they rightfully yeah. deserved, in my opinion. Same. But when we're talking about the games that did sell massively... I thought Fallout 4 was a fine game, but ultimately disappointing for what the potential should have been. I thought Fallout 76 was quite a mess. We went an entire generation with no Elder Scrolls at all. And the only other thing that we had out of the only other thing we have coming from them is Starfield. And I think Starfield looks woefully behind the times. When they first showed it, I thought it looked like a graphics mod for No Man's Sky. And I know that's like, that was a commonly held thing, but I genuinely feel like when that came on, when they came on, I was like, what, what am I looking at here? Yeah. Why? This looks like a less smooth cyberpunk uh, in terms of combat. Like it just nothing, Mm -hmm. nothing about Starfield uh, gives me faith. And the more, um, uh, 
Todd Howard talks about it, the less faith I have in the project, uh, because yeah. I feel like his eyes are way too big for his stomach. And I think Fallout 4 proves that. And again, mm-hmm. you could throw all your daggers at me. I don't care. Just don't miss. Uh, <laughs> I think Redfall really deserves more of the love because Arcane, you mentioned Deathloop, is stellar. And this is the Prey team working on a multiplayer co-op shooter. Um, the way they play with level design and the fact that it's open world, mm-hmm. I am just so excited to see what that game's going to look like. Um, I'll tell you, I'm excited, but I'm, I'm hesitantly excited just because on the surface, it's not a yeah. game that screams like something I'd be interested in, right? And I think some of that came from the fact that they showed a really cool, when they first announced it, they showed a great yeah. CG trailer, but I felt like it gave no sense as to what the game was truly going to be. And then we saw, and I'm not judging the game fully off of this. That's why I've, I've made the term. But we saw that very rough-looking leaked footage early this year that looked oh, yeah. terrible. Now, it's leaked gameplay. Leaked. But the type of gameplay that it showed made me start going, even if the game's good, I don't know if it'll be something I like. And then when they showed it yet again in a more presentable form, uh, when E3 came around, I was like, I'm back in in the sense of, I'm willing to let it surprise me. I will buy this. I will play this. Yeah. I, leaked stuff doesn't scare me off because it's leaked alpha. So I didn't even look at it. I was just, I saw one screen. I was like, that's enough. Uh, yeah. So for me, if we're talking about the categories here, Hogwarts Legacy looks great, but I don't know Harry Potter. And I believe Harry Potter in my soul, uh, my heart of hearts is the West Wing for nerds. Cause all I see these kids doing are <laughs> talking about magic in hallways uh, while they're headed to class. Uh, Final Fantasy 16. Now guys, I know I host a PlayStation show. You think I'd all be, I'd be about Final Fantasy, but I am a new Final Fantasy fan. Uh, Seven remake got me through the door. This game from what everything I've seen has me super excited, but the game that has me is Resident Evil four. Um, the fact the fact that they got the original guys to help, you know, produce this game. I'm really excited to see where they take this game because I am also a semi new Resident Evil fan. I got in with uh, seven, which I thought was stellar. That was my truest entry point. I played through Resident Evil four and I, I see where the greatness is there. But for me, I playing old games is definitely hard and jarring for me. So I would love to see this game uh, in a more modern lens of how they they go about some of the story beats. So I think mm-hmm. Resident Evil 4 to me has the biggest chance of winning me over than any of these games on this list. So, so if you had a percentage chance of that, oh, you right, think percentage. Resident Evil 4 across, across every game that releases next year. What is your percentage chance that you think your game of the year will come from this list? So if Resident Evil 4 is the one from this list that you think has the highest chance, when you compare it against the rest of the year that you know is coming, at least currently... I'll, I'll say, in Heart of Hearts, if Spider-Man launches this year, it's like a 20% chance. Okay. 20% chance. Spidey, okay. I, have a, I, I love Spider-Man. And that game it was incredible. So Spidey all the way. All right, cool. Uh, my answer, I agree with you. I think Starfield, I'm willing to let Starfield because I, I have Game Pass and it'll be free. I'm willing to try Starfield, but I have almost no interest in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am also one of the people that I can see why people love Breath of the Wild. I don't see it as a 10 out of 10 game. I probably nope. never will. I think nope. that's a very solid eight, eight and a half out of 10 Same. game that I Same. also just didn't Brett, happen to We're so to alike, it's kind of freaking me out at this point. <laughs> 
I, I think Sean one Neo knew something whenever he suggested this. Yep. He he, yep. he knew, but uh, yeah. So Zelda two has nothing for me, and you know, the the recent Pokemon performance has. I'm not saying it's anything crazy, but I think it's really showing that Switch is nearing a point where there has to be an answer as to what it's going to be. So yeah. I'm almost curious if we see Tears of the Kingdom be Breath of the Wild for their new system where it releases on Switch, but there's a better, easily more enjoyed version on a new console, whatever you want to I call hope that. that's the case because yeah. I tried playing like I love Splatoon 2. Uh, it's one of my favorite multiplayer games, actually. And Splatoon 3, I lost all faith in everything because that I can't get into a gosh dang match. So for me, like I'm seeing even the Pokemon performance, and I'm just like, oh, we, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I, I really do hope the new hardware comes out sooner rather than later. And that, that is, you're right, uh, um, a cross gen game. Mm hmm. Sometimes it's, there's actually benefits to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm really cool with cross-gen games at launch. Yep. At launch of a system. Like, you know, I was totally happy to be like, yeah, of course I'll play Sackboy's Big Adventure on PS5, and it looks and runs better than it would on PS4. I'm happy with that. Yeah. But it is always nice to have a true exclusive at launch, too. Uh, so looking at this, I think Final Fantasy 16 and Legacy Hogwarts Legacy, I'm not a huge Harry Potter person either. And I think that's what's interesting is Hogwarts Legacy is pulling me despite me not being a huge Harry Potter mm, fan. Same. So I'm trying to give it a little bit of, a, of its due diligence there. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm going to say with what we know is coming next year, assuming nothing moves and changes, I'd say 30% chance okay. that my game comes from this list. But two out of the two out of the five are not looking hot no. <laughs> for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Big same. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go ahead and move into the news. Uh, the first thing that we're going to talk about in the news is actually in relation to God of War Ragnarok. So in news that is likely to be taken far too seriously, even though it's cool, God of War Ragnarok director Eric Williams appeared on a kind of funny spoiler cast for the game and made a comment about the next game he personally would like to work on. He said, quote, you guys can make it happen because you have the audience of the world here. I don't know what I'm doing next, but if somebody gives me that Castlevania license, we would love to make that, end quote. Uh, Castlevania, of course, has been a dormant franchise outside of the collections since the release of Lords of Shadow 2 back in 2014. That game was heavily debated, uh, despite the fact that the first one was actually a rather loved first starting point, uh, with Konami potentially over committing to a revitalization of Silent Hill with three games, arguably four. <laughs> uh, Chris, you funny guy. Uh, movies and TV shows, it wouldn't take walking through a mystic gateway to find a realm where a Sony slash Konami collaboration on Castlevania makes sense. These comments come a few days after Williams told the LA Times that he would be happy to commit his life to Kratos and work on their franchise for his life, which is a crazy crazy sentence yeah uh, hopefully that works out better for eric than it does to the women who committed their lives to their love of the god of war oh he also <laughs> says that it is unlikely that god of war 5 will receive dlc which <laughs> let's be honest god of war has never had dlc yeah I this haven't. is not a surprising uh if there was ever going to be a chance to maybe but you know coming off of what is the end of a, of a mythology or this saga as they're calling it i almost struggle to see how you'd approach a dlc uh yeah. without it being something and, ah, this is i can't talk too much exactly but there's specifically a, there's specifically a little section of stuff at the end of 
the new game that if you told me that you were making a left behind style DLC. Yes. I personally would be interested because I think that that supplemental stuff would end up helping my enjoyment of Ragnarok that much more. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So going back to uh, the Castlevania thing, you know, there's, there was that long, long running rumor that Sony was in talks with Konami to get exclusive use of their license uh, of their licenses, not to necessarily buy Konami, but to partner with them and say, listen, we'll take your great IP with our great studios. We know how to, to choose studios to make games. You'll make your money without having to worry about publishing the games or whatever it be. Um, in looking at that, I've always said personally that I didn't think that Sony would be too up for the idea of giving even beloved license like IP to their biggest studios like Naughty Dog, uh, Sony Santa Monica, and as has recently become the case, um, to some degree, Guerrilla Games and, of course, Sucker Punch. Uh, because there's a lot of value in their existing IP, and I think, as we've talked about, you of course, want to see more ghosts and the yeah. idea behind ghosts. Um, and of course, people want to see what Naughty Dog has got up their sleeve. People, they're already working on new IPs for this. So how likely do you think it would be that not only something like this could happen in terms of Sony getting the license to work with, but more importantly, giving it to one of their biggest studios? Do you think that that's how Sony would approach reviving something like that? Or do you think that they would realize that ultimately Castlevania is still... A f- in modern gaming terms, it's niche in comparison to new games in terms of market draw and appeal. I think because it's niche, it probably has the biggest chance. I feel like if your game is in a Marvel property, Sony wants to own the IP. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's their mo because you know it's kind of like with with EA as well. Uh, one of their issues was with the Star Wars IP. You know them being drawn to an IP that they didn't own. That you know Disney could pull the rug out from under them, and that's why once they got the deal with Star Wars or with uh, Disney, they were so apprehensive with that IP because there were so many movers and shakers that were dictating things from their own company. So yeah. you know the IP has to be either incredibly huge like a Spider-Man or it has to be incredibly niche to have that shot. Um, you know, for Spider-Man, I mean, just look at how it's sold. It's it's one of the, the top-selling uh, franchises that PlayStation has made. So mm-hmm. they're okay with not necessarily owning Spider-Man because they also know that Insomniac could g- turn around and make something really stellar as well. But I, I feel like the commitment between Marvel and Sony is probably incredibly close and tight and benefiting Sony that I think they're comfortable with not owning it. When it comes to Castlevania, I don't think you throw that to uh Santa Monica. I actually think because he said this, this is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because to me, I, f- I feel like, no, you give Castlevania to Blue Point, you give, you know, you, you give it to one of their smaller esque teams that are known to make something out of, you know, a foundation. So to me, I see this like you throw it to a you throw it to a house mark, you throw it to a blue point, you throw it at a smaller team, you have it be a smaller scope, and you see what happens there, or even just throwing it over to an X dev partner um, to help make that game. Because mm. I feel like with their known or, or popular, whatever the, the word you want to use, studios, um, 
like a Santa Monica or a Naughty Dog. No, they're making their own thing. They're, yeah. they're 100% making their own thing. Where like I could see this happening with Castlevania and Bluepoint. I could absolutely see that happening. Um, but they're off doing something. So I don't want to rule it out. I think the deal has to be incredibly favorable for Sony mm. for them to even consider it. Well, I think the other thing is when you're dealing with legacy IP, which is arguably what Castlevania is. Like, like people yeah. know Castlevania by name. Many people don't know it by playing it. Uh, we had mentioned before we got on to the show that you had never played Castlevania, and I think a really interesting launching point right now to look at how Castlevania would do in a modern audience, even with, to some degree, uh, the Netflix series is uh, amazing, actually. It's really good. And I think it's drawn more people either back to the franchise who already loved it or new people to the franchise. So you would get some of that cross-media namesake, uh, you know, benefits. Absolutely. But Blood Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which is the closest thing to a modern Castlevania game that we've had in a long time. That and of course the other Bloodstained game that they did uh that was more of a 2D Castlevania uh light game as well, only sold about a million copies, it sold a little bit over a million last I can remember them updating. And as much as people who are longtime fans and love Castlevania don't want to think that. The reality is that modern gaming is so much bigger than previous gaming that even a behemoth franchise from 20 years ago doesn't really stand up to the IP power of modern stuff. I wish it wasn't always that way. Castlevania is a great, great franchise with a lot of opportunity. But then, legacy IP, you deal with that issue of trying to do something with the IP, but you're always going to be stuck between two fan bases Fan bases who are new and coming in and want to try something different, but also know that it's part of something that's weighed down by previous games. And then people who don't want anything that's too far off from the original games. And that's part of why Lords of Shadow 2 got so derided. Lords of Shadow 1 was more Bloodborne-y. Yep. Not exactly, but it was closer. And I remember people being pretty favorable to that game and being like, this is cool. It's a good starting point. And then Lords of Shadow 2 tried to further that. And people were like, no, 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 absolutely not. Enough. And that's the thing. Yeah, like whatever this game has to do, it has to deviate from what we've known or the idea, the germ of what a Castlevania is. Because you're right. The sales, a million is great for an indie dev and, and all that. But like, Sony first party? No, you, that needs a that needs a sturdy push, um, you know, marketing wise to get it through the door. So for me, yeah, it, it, again, one of the smaller teams for sure, but it also has to deviate from what you know. Maybe it is closer to a Lords of Shadow than what you typically think of a Castlevania game to be. Mm-hmm. And I think in a modern setup, that would be the closest thing you'd get. Uh, you know, th- the the reality of something that I don't think people talk about, but this is a really interesting viewpoint of looking at what God of War 2018 was actually so successful at. It was super successful at taking an already beloved and successful IP that had started to wane in popularity because Ascension on PS3 did not sell very well. It was still a good game, but it was dealing with all sorts of issues. It's a prequel to a story that's already wrapped up. There's, it's hard to feel like there's any weight to anything. Prequels always have that issue because it's like, I know that nothing happens. There's no true sense of danger because I saw that the third game happened. I know that he has to live to make this point of the game. So with those things in mind, I think it's really interesting that God of War was able to straddle that line as bad as well as anything could have to where it 
mostly successfully bridged the gap between people who loved the original God of War games and people who were willing to take a chance on a God of War game that was doing something considerably different. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that same kind of, you'd have to catch that lightning in a bottle again with Castlevania. And who knows how successful you could be, but I almost think the interesting thing would be, uh, you know, Sony is investing in FromSoft alongside Tencent uh, to make games happen. And I actually think that if you could get FromSoft to make Castlevania as a partnered second party game uh, that was exclusive to you, that would be probably the best you could get. I think most people would be happy. I think, yeah, I I think because everybody kind of equates Souls games to being what the modern day of a Castlevania would be. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I feel like most people would be down on it. I think me, you have to ask Miyazaki of how of he would feel on that, right? Of how he wants it. This is not an IP he owns. And I know that was something with, with Bloodborne that he had issue with of him not owning that IP. So for me, it also comes down to a, they got Elden Ring. So they're, they're busy, but Miyazaki also doesn't like to make sequels to things. So even if Castlevania is a huge success, would you even would they even be around for the sequel? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the most you'd get is a Dark Souls two situation of a non Miyazaki led game, and then the the novelty of it being a FromSoft game. That's actually something that I hope FromSoft can eventually get away from. Not because yeah. Miyazaki's not important. Every game he's made has been mostly amazing. Even if I don't like, you know, I fell off of both Elden Ring and um, um, Sekiro. Sekiro, but. I think they're both great games that just didn't sink their hooks into me for some reason. And I'm willing to revisit both of them. I just yeah. have to make time. I planted Sekiro. Humble brag. Nice. I don't like to brag. Don't like to brag, but I'm pretty much champion gamer nope. over here. Chris did too. And it's interesting because Chris is a, he's a prime example of how it can happen where he thought he hated that game basically. Same. And then he kind of went back to it and suddenly he had the platinum and it was like, yeah. I don't know how it happened, but it just became, which, you know, for Chris's sake, I think part of it was that he went into it like, this is a hard platinum to get. I'm going to approach it as I'm trying to get the platinum. And interestingly, I think that challenge drove him to love the challenge of the game because I watched him just continuously fight some of these bosses like he was share playing, which is still a feature I adore. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And it it was really cool to see him beat a particular boss uh, when he was. I mean, he was going over and over and over, and it was just cool to see it come through. So, yeah, I think it, there was a lot of aspects at play there, but that'll be an interesting one to see. Do you know? Do you have anything else you'd want to say in regards to those? No, I'm good. I'm good. I again, I not gonna happen. He said it. He, he said it out loud. It's not happening. You ruined the magic. Yeah, you needed to do the Todd Howard. Well, I just want to make a Fallout game to your boss, and then let them come back and put a sticky note on your desk. Did you ever hear that story where he yep. talks about? How they ended up with Fallout's IP. Uh, Interesting. Uh, Next thing up in an odd collaboration, Sony and Honda are working (laughs) on a collaboration that could see new Hondas coming equipped with a PlayStation 5. The two companies established Sony Honda Mobility in September. The goal of the company is to combine music, movies, and gaming to take on its rival, in Tesla, Izumi Kawanishi, president of CH or SHM, rather, indicated that entertainment in autonomous cars is the next frontier of technology, something that they note Tesla has yet to do. It will be interesting to see how the collaboration works out, but let's hope they can solve the issues around self driving cars, which include 11 deaths in four months 
before we start slaying droggers on the highway. <laughs> and something to note here. Chris, yes. I appreciate you for doing news. Uh, he, he puts in his own note here. Hilarious that we may live in a future where someone will be playing Gran Turismo 7 in their car instead of driving their car. 110%. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you, we had this conversation on the trophy room this week. It's very not safe for work, but you guys should really give it a shot because we had a lot of fun (laughs) with this segment. I'll just say, I'll, I'll say this. This is a scary future that we're heading into, right? I don't feel comfortable not driving a, a, a car, let alone playing yeah. my PlayStation 5 while I'm going 65 on the freeway. <laughs> Do you remember, uh, I think it was Fast It was Fast and Furious 1, where Ja Rule had Gran Turismo on the PS2 <laughs> <laughs> on his radio? <laughs> yeah, man. Like, <sighs> just, you know, the, the remarks that he said, he was talking about how, uh, and the guy who actually said these things is uh, one of the people who was behind the, the IBO AI dog, you know, the, the robot, oh, Sony's really? little IBO dog, um, which are cool. I mean, they're very yeah. interesting things. So these are people who have a lot of trust in AI, and I think the average person still has a reasonable distrust of the full extent of AI, and I think yeah. reasonably so, as Chris marks in the notes here. Uh, yeah, my Alexa turns on when we're having a conversation still. We're not talking about you, Alexa. And no, I don't want an extra pillow. Don't order it from Amazon. What are you doing? So, yeah, Yeah. I I have no faith. In that end, he's talking about how the next frontier of, of, uh, you know, autonomous driving, essentially, is that you can use that time to catch up on other things. And I like the idea of not making it immediately business focused because I think there's something just inherently shitty about a company being like, we're going to make it to where the car can drive itself so that you can do more work. I like that they're like, (laughs) we're going to make it to where the car can drive itself so you can listen to the music that you want to listen to, catch up on the movies you've been missing, play that God of War boss fight you've been waiting to get back to. I like the spirit of it, but boy, do I not trust it. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, I, I, I love the, oh God, what's the one Tom uh, Cruise movie? Oh my God. Was it uh something? Was it protocol? Where, no, where ghost protocol. Ghost? No, is it a ghost protocol? Where they're Mission seeing impossible. in the future? No, where they're seeing in like the crimes that have already happened. Remember that? Oh, uh, I'm not sure if I know what. Movie oh you're talking my god! About. I I now I'm, I'm gonna. I'm it's Tom it. Cruise. It's a Tom Cruise movie. He's got special gloves. He's waving at the the monitor, and they're like, "Oh, look at this crime!" And then he's he. It's like told in the future that he's gonna commit a crime. Anyway, there's minority a part where he's report. driving to work. Minority report, thank you. Is like part where he's like driving to work, but he's in like a pod. And I'm like, I think they think that we're they we we're about to live in this reality when again, like my Siri goes, oh no, no, no relax. It still activates when I say things. Like like don't talk to me like that, Siri. Know your role. Uh, you're a phone. I'm a man. <laughs> know your place, phone. But like to me, that's it gets it's like you're talking about 10 plus years in the future. Like this is not this tech's not here, let alone putting a PlayStation 5 in it. Um, It's a cute idea, but it's 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 fantasy to me. I'm more curious of how the how car companies to me as an outsider looking in, you get to tell me if I'm full of crap or not. And maybe it's just because I don't like Elon Musk bias, but like a lot of car companies seemingly are getting closer and closer to Tesla 
in terms of electronic cars or electric cars and what they're capable of that I'd be, I'm more interested of like how far can this Sony Honda electric car go until I have to plug it in and charge it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my biggest concern. Cause still from again, outside of looking in, no one's been able to touch Tesla in that regard, but we're starting to come close. Yeah. And that's a real question because when you're putting, when you're talking about high end electronics on something that's already battery driven, playing your PlayStation 5 is just going to draw a lot of that power Absolutely. and only exacerbate the problem of getting where you need to go. And then the question becomes, well, if I'm only using it to drive around town, what is really the benefit? I, okay. Let me say this from someone who lives in a town where I can get to where I work yeah. from my house in 10 minutes. I understand that I come from a very different situation depending on where you live. So for me personally, when I look at this, I think to myself, this would give me no benefit at all. I I wouldn't even try and play 10 minutes of a game on the way to work because I don't like doing that. Like, you know, I I like to sit down with something when I know I'm going to play for like at least 30 minutes to an hour and hopefully more. Um, So to that end, it's like, if you're not going to talk about using it for long-term commutes, which would rely on how far you can go, it starts to look less and less like something of value and more of like a, hey, here's a gimmick of we put a PlayStation 5 in a car. They're hard to get, but here they are, dedicated in this car, if that's still the case. Yeah. Um, what An interesting idea for this, actually, though, is kind of heading back towards the idea of something more like Uber and stuff, where if these ride-sharing things to where people can buy these cars and be like, hey, passengers... As we go, you know, 45 minutes from the Hello, airport to your humans. hotel, <laughs> yeah. uh, as we go from the 45 minute drive from your uh, airport to your hotel or your Airbnb or whatever it be, uh, here you go, play some games. Yeah. Watch a movie. You know, I think that aspect is interesting uh, because entertainment in cars doesn't have to mean for the driver, it can mean for everyone else. Uh, but then you have to fight with, I don't know if you've ever seen this. A lot of cars have safety regulations to where even if other people in the car could be doing this thing, the car will not let certain things happen when you're in certain things. So if you're in reverse, you can't do anything. Yeah. You can't change things. So you can't connect a new phone to Bluetooth without the car being parked in a lot of cars. So when you think about my Toyota, it's just like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like why would the why can't it be that the person in the seat next to me who's not driving can connect a new phone? And I get that they do it so that there's no chance for you to abuse it, but regulation I feel like is going to get very much in the way of this. And if not, I'd be yeah. surprised. Yeah, very much so. And honestly, maybe it should because again, this type of future creeps me out. But I, I'm way more I'm way more interested to see how like how these automakers catch up to Tesla if they're able to mm-hmm. and um, what what they're actually able to do. Because as we've seen, Tesla stock slowly start to drop more and more. And the future of that company may possibly being in limbo as you know, t- uh, Elon plays 4D chess with being an edgelord on Twitter. Um, I'm, you know, that Tesla stock is tied into the deal with Twitter. So if Twitter does not work out for Elon, that means that spells really bad news for Tesla. And that means companies like Honda, like Toyota, like Chevy and all these can kind of move into this field and really, and, and, and really put a dent in that market. So I'm, I'm very interested in the electric car scene. 
um, but not in the let's put a PlayStation in my car scene. <laughs> you know, the interesting, a, a little tidbit that's not necessarily gaming related, but electronic cars are actually facing an issue that is very similar to what was having to go on for its namesake in particular. I don't know how much you know about uh, Edison and, and Tesla, yeah. uh, but you know, when you think back to the original for anyone who does know the alternating current and direct current uh, argument where they were trying to figure out who is going to be the power grid of America and the upsides and downsides to each. Uh, and the, the problem with AC is that no one had figured out an AC generator and that's where Tesla came in and patented the first AC generator um, that was commercially viable. And that's how they were able to spread that network. But the way AC power works is that it scales up to travel at very high voltage and then a transformer takes it in and then reduces it down to a a voltage that your house can use. It's interesting that right now Tesla is at the point where it's dealing with the problem that DC power had, which was Edison's thing, where it's like, how do you more economically deal with getting power to last as far out as you need to? Because DC current, you had to have a power plant pretty much within every mile of wherever you were going to be using it at. So uh, I just find that there's some odd dramatic irony that Tesla is facing a problem that it's uh, namesake solved <laughs> yeah. in a sense. So yeah, yeah car electric cars are very interesting and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see what can come of them. But a, a lot of that is, is all technology, not even just vehicles are weighed down by battery tech having mm-hmm. not moved enough. Um, so it, it, it's a problem for why your phone can't last typically more than a day and why your car can't typically drive more than a couple hundred miles on, uh, you know, <laughs> a charge yeah. uh, if you're lucky. And that's if you paid for the double battery, you know, the, the, the double motor. Battery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, see, I know a thing or two. I got smarts in my head from time to time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got a question here. Uh, okay. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. I, I skipped a little forward. We actually have news before that question. Uh, more uh-huh. news on the future of Call of Duty has come out because we can't have a single moment of peace, as we talked about last week on your show. Uh, Microsoft has said they've now offered Sony a deal that would keep Call of Duty on PlayStation for the next 10 years. This would mean that the next five mainline games in the series would remain on the console, assuming Jason Schreier's reporting on Call of Duty uh, going to a cycle of release of every other year is indeed true. Sony has declined to comment on the figure, but it does job with Spencer's comments we discussed last week course in which he indicated that he would be open to committing to call of duty to get the deal past the goalie um this has been beaten to the ground by many ways at least talking about itself so so instead we're gonna loop a uh listener question mr sean one neo the man who uh first got all this ball rolling between r2 r2 podcast he says as a ps Quote, fanboy, am I the only one who's excited for Microsoft acquiring Call of Duty? Because when Sony has something to fear, they go that extra mile to win us over. And as loyal fans, we reap all the benefits. And he's not wrong. I think the most I've ever loved Sony from a feeling like as a fan of Sony, I was just getting to eat, 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 and was giving, mm. getting all the benefits was PS3. That mm. mid to late PS3 era where they were like, we are going to claw back from this botched launch. I was some of the absolute ballsiest and crazy moves. You saw some of the highest highs and a few of the lowest lows of yep. Sony. But Sony can be beautiful when put in a corner. They can. They've yeah. proved it many times. And so I'm I'm trying to tell folks 
there is something we don't know here and something that is at play here. And we have to be comfortable with the fact that there is unknowns, right? So that said, I think about the Bethesda Microsoft deal. And one of the reports coming from Google Stadia of the, the moment they knew they couldn't compete and that it was over is when they announced that they were buying Bethesda. Yep. Um, they saw that and going, oh, we're not able to compete on such a level um, that Microsoft is a- wanting to compete at. Uh, we can't just seek funds from Alphabet the way that Microsoft has. Uh, you know, their Phil was not able to speak to their CEO and convince them in such a way. And so they backed out of gaming. Right. And mm-hmm. listen, I'm not saying that Call of Duty and the whole of Activision is the thing that you know, if had, it's going to hurt them in such a way that PlayStation's out of games. Not saying that, but I think it would dramatically hurt their shareholders, the people that aren't gamers, of what faith that they have to compete in the marketplace um, with Microsoft, this trillion-dollar company, right? It's not us. We know when Sony's put in a corner, they'll make a game like Uncharted 2, right? Or, or, or an infamous they shareholders don't think like us. They, they're thinking about the dollars and cents and they're very emotional people <laughs> as well as we've seen stocks <laughs> drop over. Just again, like going back to the Elon thing, right? Like, Oh no, he's, he made a few bad tweets and now you're seeing Tesla stock drop to the lowest it's been in years. Um, so like they're an emotional, questionable bunch. But that being said, there is a feeling and you have to have that sense of it in the Sony HQ that this is important to them and this deal may hurt them dramatically. So, you know, will they get weird and do something different? Oh, absolutely. I bet, I bet like battlefield is chopping at the bit to get that, you know, that uh, marketing right from, from Sony after call of duty said and done. Right. But I think there is this future that, Sony looks at this and go, oh God, um, how, what, what do we do? Because we've lost now billions of dollars in revenue. You know, think about it. Call of duty is the number one selling game every year on PlayStation. No matter if there's a God of war, Ragnarok or a Spider-Man, it's consistently number one. Um, the last decade, I think it's only been kicked out of the number one spot like once or twice. So it's an important IP. That being said, I am excited because if t- Sony takes this moment going, okay, we first off, PlayStation means way too much. It's such a big part of our organization. We have to rethink how we approach games now. That's going to be exciting for, for yeah, us. Agreed. And you're already seeing them do that. I would argue you're already seeing them prepare for a future where Call of Duty is not on that platform. You take a look at all the games of service games that they have planned and announced and how varied they are. I think, you know, PlayStation looks at the mistake that they tried when trying to combat Call of Duty on PS3. They're like, we're just going to put all types of shooters on here. You know, we're going to, we're going to give you a resistance. We're going to give you, uh, you know, a, a Starhawk. We're going to give you a kill zone. We'll call them Call of Duty killers. And like none of those things panned out. So to see them go, okay, we're going to make a Tarkov esque, Division esque, uh, you know, Last of Us multiplayer game. That's, that's dope. That's a market that they haven't 
that I feel like not enough people have tapped yet. There's opportunity there, you know, then at the, least on the, console. Yeah. At least on console. And then, you know, they'll go over and going, Hey, we're going to make a mobile games and service game. All right. Sure. Cool. You know, you got the rumors of a, of a horizon MMO. Like they're working on so many different things and so many varied things that are games as service that aren't just a shooter up, you know, pew, pew, bang, bang. Cause it's really simple to say, Oh, you know what they could do? They could just give us a SOCOM. You know, uh, we all miss SOCOM. I miss the PSP SOCOM so much. That's the easy answer. That's the easy out. But I think the more complex thing is, Hey, there are, markets here that we don't have to just go toe-to-toe with call of duty or apex we can go somewhere else and make buku bucks so i think they're preparing for that already and how they how successful are they are at it is going to be the thing that's that's telling but i'll say this as i've been echoing the fact that microsoft in the beginning gave them a three-year extension then said hey let's give us a you know, competition and now we'll just walked up to sony and said hey remember a month ago when our ceo kind of called you out sorry about that here's a 10-year deal that's telling to me that this is not going the way we even in the gaming sphere thought it should be going yeah, um i agree yeah it's and and no matter what you think if it's right or wrong does it? It doesn't matter. I think Microsoft, for the first time, is concerned that there is an actual chance this doesn't go through. And I am more—I'm actually more concerned if it doesn't go through than if it does for both Activision and the Xbox division, because mm. uh, people are like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, you know, d- uh, Xbox. Well, what they're what are they going to do? They're going to throw all the money at at all these types of advertising and, and marketing deals like Sony does. It's like, do they? Do do they? Because this is a huge defeat. Though so it, it shows that they can't just gobble up publishers or developers. Does that give Microsoft a, a rethink of of the Xbox brand? Oh, so like, does it make it rethink Game Pass? Exactly. You know, how, how much is this important for Game Pass's plans and, to move forward? Yeah. And I'll cut this TED talk short when I say, what does this mean then for Activision? As we've seen, you know, their toxic workplace kind of put a shine and a spotlight on there. And what does that mean for the people that work there? Not in just that regard, but their, their well-being in terms of their job security. You know, Activision was already in a rough spot um, because COVID kind of co- you know knocked all the cogs out from, from, from positioning. So like, now Activision has to do something drastic, and that's scary. So to me, I see all of this as actually troubling for multiple reasons, and it's not because you know PlayStation might have to make a SOCOM game. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I think the deal should go through. I think Sony needs to get weird again. And uh, yeah, that, that was my TED Talk. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I'll be at the bar if you need me. <laughs> so a couple things you said is, yeah, I really loved when Sony had their back against the wall and thinking we need a Halo killer, we need a Call of Duty killer. Um, we got some of my favorite shooters of all time. I adore Killzone. I adore Resistance. I think they're they're really quirky and fun shooters that I don't think anyone would have ever made if they weren't trying to throw shit at the wall and see what's done. Yep. And part of that is also, I don't know if you remember the off-forgotten Ha- uh, Hayes, the Ubisoft oh. Halo killer. <laughs> yes. But here's God the thing. Bless. I at least appreciate the approach behind it because I remember looking at Hayes and thinking it's an interesting concept that they just 
swung and missed hugely on. Yeah. I think that the idea, though, the fact that anyone was willing to be like, look, we're going to make it to where these dudes have helmets on, they shoot nectar, and the nectar stuff just gives them like superhuman abilities. I think that is a cool idea, but it's not an idea I think would have ever originally left the the pitch floor if it hadn't been for we have to come up with some way mm-hmm. to counteract Halo at the time and then at what eventually became Call of Duty. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the last thing I'll note on what you said, because I think it sums it up pretty well, is I do think Sony needs to get weird again. I love that. And I think that much like you said, uh, both Sony's response to this or con- continued c- uh, insistence that this not go through, and uh, and then of course Microsoft's continually shifting response to Sony and how they're approaching this shows how important this deal is not only to Sony, how important it is that Sony view it to not go through, but also how important Microsoft view it that it needs to go through. Yeah, and I, I'm not it, sure if either of us know what the actual reasons for either of those things are. I don't think, and, I, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. I don't think anyone knows. And if anybody tells you, oh, here's the, here's the, the, I give it a 70 30 split or a 60 40, whatever, nobody knows at this point because they are, they're facing world governments that want to curb big tech, uh, and, and its influence to, um, to heavy degrees. So, mm. you know, to me, I, I feel like we as uh, um, as an audience also have to have, I, I've been saying rethink a lot, but it's true, a rethink of, or, 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 or kind of look at it through a different angle of like, okay, so why isn't, why isn't it going the way we think it should be? What is the true cause and concern rather than poke at like one dude's Twitter, you know, post of like, uh, my PlayStation, so, like that, that silly stuff. I think yeah. we could, if there is someone able to dive deeper into the complexities of these deals, um, I think, I think we're going to get a, a better and clearer view, a non-biased look at it. I think is going to be the, the best, but I don't think anyone in the gaming industry, um, is is truly qualified uh, to, yeah. to to be the authority here. So let me ask you this, because this is something that I, Chris and I disagree on, and I'm just more curious to gauge you. Um, in your mind, of course, this is with what we feel like we know, and of course, our own versions of what our versions of big business acumen may be. Um, you outside looking in, as is, do you think if the deal goes through, that that means M&A stuff that's happening throughout the entire industry is going to be even less hands-on? Or do you think that if the deal goes through, then it's like from here on out, we have this tightened and very little, much more is going to go through. Definitely not anywhere near oh, like, this level. Like, like in, in Microsoft's purview? Well, in anywhere. Like, you know, I, I mean, Microsoft this, clearly because they'll be big. But I think even yeah. if this goes through, I think uh, what I'm asking is, do you think the extra eyes that have happened as a result of this and how much time and effort going through is going to cause an M&A stop or at least hmm. slow in gaming? Or do you think that if it goes through, gaming is going to have a wide open M&A spree? I think it's red light, green light, and currently we're at a yellow light and we're waiting for it to turn. Like, mm. <laughs> but this this yellow light has different ideas. It could go green or red. I think if this doesn't go through, I think, um, you know, I think 
companies the size of like a Tencent or Microsoft or Apple or whoever wants to get into the gaming sphere that is a giant has to rethink what they want to do and how they do it. Um, I think if if Microsoft doesn't land this, you're right. I think then Game Pass has to change somehow or their approach to buying developers and publishers needs to change. Um, you know, I think if this goes through, Oh, you're going to see more, you're going to see way more mergers and, and, and acquisitions, uh, go through. Um, because I think this is the, the, this is the toughest hurdle. This is $69 billion. And if this goes through, then why not a company come in and walk in and, and purchase 2K? Why can't someone just walk in, knock on Ubisoft's door and, you know, give them a golden parachute? Um, you know, why can't someone knock on the door right now to Square Enix? I think a lot of, I think a lot of these mergers and acquisitions right now, a lot of companies want to make them, but they're looking at this one currently, and, and this is the barometer of, okay, can we do this or not? Let's let's have the biggest company in the world be be that that uh, canary in the coal mine for us. Yeah, I think you're falling uh, more on Chris's side. My personal yeah. view, and, and something that was said from Microsoft here, is that. Um, I think that it depends on what the M&A is going toward. You know, yeah, uh, Microsoft sure. is talking about how the, this acquisition is not to further themselves in the gaming normal uh, console, uh, you know, I guess more traditional gaming market. They're more looking at the broad phone casual market, uh, which all of the games industry is run by the casual market. No one, none yeah. of us hardcore gamers want to really look at it that way. Yeah. But the reality is games are made or broken on whether or not they can do well with casual people. Not, yeah. you know, God of War didn't sell to 20, 20 million hardcore gamers. It sold to like 4 million, maybe hardcore gamers. And then 16 million gamers who were more casual who got yeah. the marketing or word of mouth worked yeah. for them. I, so, so- I think it's so. I think you're seeing it. I, I think you're right here as well. Like this, this acquisition. If I'm Microsoft, it is more of the mobile market than anything. I think it's mm-hmm. also mobile and PC. They're seeing the. the sure. Yeah, I th- I think the when they're talking about how Game Pass is growing significantly so on PC and it's slowed on console. I think they're taking a look at Blizzard games, going, "You're going to propel us. Oh, you're going to propel. Call of Duty is going to propel." You know, PC Game Pass, even console Game Pass to a large extent as well. But they also take a look at King going, Oh, we like a good candy crush. And if we can, mm-hmm. if we can work, you know, uh, benefits into Game Pass here as well, we will. And I think you're seeing them. Uh, this is how a trillion dollar company looks at how to build a mobile platform. It's like, we just buy it. And you're seeing Sony go, okay, we can make smaller, way smaller purchases, but we need to kind of build it from, from the ground up, build the foundation. That's why you see them go out there and purchase X, you know, Apple, uh, app store execs to build this for them because they don't have the cash flow that Microsoft can go out and, and buy it. So yeah, I think there's also pros and cons of both of those. Things. <clears throat> So in looking at that, I guess really where I was where I was going from is that Microsoft at least has the ability to say, well, we're not doing that to get in this market. And I think that the difference is because who, you know, you ask and, and looking at if this goes through, then what would stop another company from coming in and saying, hey, we're going to buy 2K. And I think if you look at it, if Sony were to buy 2K, that's almost unquestionably to build their presence in their existing market and further draw competition out. Whereas Microsoft is fighting tooth and nail to say, we're not making these purchases to 
constrain the console market where we can basically say we've already lost. We're going to still com- com- compete yeah. within there, but we're not worried about ever beating Sony. We're worried about continuing to grow our market to where it stays there, but then we continue to grow towards PC and yeah. mobile. Because, and when you look at those things, that's that's my real question. Because I do yeah. fall on the fact that I think if this goes through, I don't mean that no M&A will, come, will continue to happen, but I think that each one will be looked at far closer than they have been up to this point. Because they're going to start being like, what is your goal? What is the potential risk of damage or benefits to the market in which you stand to gain or lose the least by making this acquisition? And maybe I'm wrong. Sure. I just, I, I, I think I I tend to look back on, um, I don't know if you know how many times that Sprint T-Mobile tried to buy Sprint (laughs) multiple times and it took, multiple times for someone yeah. to finally go like Sprint has lost enough business. They are not a big enough player in the game and AT&T and Verizon are still so large that and even if we let this happen, it's really only a benefit to the phone yeah. market. And that's the thing. It's it's like there is a good chance this thing gets blocked. Uh, a very good chance. You know, it happened to Disney. It, it can happen here as well. But that doesn't mean the deal's over. It means, okay, we need to rework and, and give some some caveats to, to, to certain things. So maybe, yeah, like, sure. like real talk, it's not even out of the, the possibility anymore. Like maybe, you know, PlayStation, PlayStation, you get to keep Call of Duty forever. Blizzard games, you, you know, they, they gotta, they gotta run on Linux. I don't know what the, <laughs> the ridiculous caveats will be, but like, you know, there's going to be, I think at the end of this, the day, this deal goes through, but there's going to be caveats that, Things have to be run a certain way for, in order for this to go through. Because I think the the the, the companies that's going to need these mergers and acquisitions the most at the end of the day is not going to be Microsoft. I think at the end of the day, PlayStation's going to need to start making some deals to start securing partners uh, to make sure that they don't go anywhere. Because right now we're seeing all these titans uh, making moves in the European market, and we're seeing PlayStation make these strategic partnerships to help maintain that from software isn't going anywhere, right? We talk about how all roads lead to Square Enix on our show, and that road is probably (laughs) multiple roads, (laughs) Yeah, right? Like multiple close partnerships and infusion of cash between like Nintendo, Tencent, and and Sony. You know, you could see a, a, a weird possibility where like Sony's walking around with investor money going, Hey, we'll invest in you. Uh, just please don't ever leave us. <laughs> yeah, and, no, I think and, you're right because I noticed that Sony tends to want to partner with people that they don't have to worry about being direct competition because, yep. you know, they're, they're working alongside Tencent with FromSoft, uh, with Kotakawa for FromSoft and looking and saying like, Hey, we want to invest because maybe we can't outright buy you. But we can invest enough money to, and then co-invest with another company who doesn't have a console. Their interest is in third-party gaming, or at least you know they they don't have a machine interest yeah. in involved. So they can go. Tencent won't care if if we put an exclusive FromSoft game because we've helped invest into this, or we start making FromSoft animated movies or whatever it is that they yeah. plan on doing. Then they could say ten cents still gets what they wanted out of the deal. We get what we want out of the deal, and we don't really have to worry about that leaving and going somewhere exclusively. Absolutely. Instead, this is a company that doesn't have exclusivity on the mind because they don't have a console they're pushing yeah. behind this. Whereas, no matter what Xbox says, there will always be that reality of, and, and same is true of Sony. 
there will always be a reality of it. at any point in time. They could pull the rug and go, you are our company. We will tell you where you release. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as they talk about Bungie, I still view a, I still view a world where if things get desperate enough, I bet, not that it would go down well, but I bet Sony could tell Bungie like, hey, we bought you and we oh. bought you with that in mind. But I actually, now I, things have changed. Though I wonder how the contractual language is. is no, I, I think so. The the way that I understand it is Bungie has incredible freedom. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I actually don't see that ever being a like we own you. You get no. I, think I hope just that's like, never the case. Yeah. But I think that the, the possibility always exists. Because sure. ultimately they are owned. I so the crap out have, of my mic. But yeah, no, I, 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 I think the possibility... I say is very slim, but I would I would say that Sony is probably looking at how we protect it, like because all of a sudden Bethesda is gone, right? Mm-hmm. There's a possibility of Call of Duty being gone. Now you've lost Western partners, um, so now you need to make sure and, and either grow them or uh, help fund them. So I think XDev at the end of the day. Uh, when all everything's said and done, it's going to be a massive arm for Sony. Mm, massive, uh, and whatever. And it deals always happen. it always really has been to some degree. Sony's had a very active X Dev thing, but in the past they've been willing to let certain things go when they felt like it wasn't rolling. That's how we lost Rhyme as an exclusive, yep. and uh, what remains of Edith Finch was also at one point in time an X Dev game. Both of those ended up losing their PlayStation exclusivity. Uh, still came out to be beloved games in their own rights. Yeah. Uh, but I think Sony may be a little more coy about that moving forward. It's like at some point. If we can just maintain the relationship, let's just keep going with it. You know, I, I wonder if the rhyme and what remains of Edith Finch situation would have happened under current day Sony. And maybe it would have. Uh, yeah. But I still I at least think it would have taken more work for them to hit that point. Yeah. I'm very curious where uh, PlayStation's move. I know I think we have a story about the Asian markets, um, but I'm very curious if the X devs moves in places like China, South Korea and Japan are going to look like. And I'm mm. very interested of how, what PlayStation wheels and deals in, in Europe, uh, yeah, specifically no, in like yeah. Eastern markets. That's uh, yeah. you know, Eastern European markets. I think that's going to be, that's where like the future of games gets really exciting for me. Cause that is, those are the next moves and yeah. we're seeing them begin to, to dip into, into their toes, into that, that those uncharted waters as it were. <laughs> Next thing up on the news, uh, after two Can I say the Brett real talk? Yeah, go ahead. I'm so, go I'm ahead. So, congratulations. This was my favorite talk about Activision Blizzard stuff in four <laughs> months. <laughs> yeah, that's been a rough, rough conversation <laughs> topic point. So Trophy uh, unlocked for you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, moving on. Uh, after two disappointing releases from Volition, the studio and its talent will be rolled into Gearbox. Uh, Agents of Mayhem and the reboots of Saints Row both disappointed critically, though it appears that despite this, the new Saints Row was at the top of the NPD in August. So sounds like while it may not have been a critical darling, it at least justified well enough commercially uh but either way volition employees are still working on patches for the game saints row uh including one that rolled out in conjunction with this news that fixed over 200 bugs Mm. it is unclear how this will affect the future of volition's franchises but it sounds like for the most part volition as we know it and maybe even by namesake will be gone and they will instead just be part of gearbox um 
it's unfortunate because losing any team is yeah. rough. But from my personal viewpoint of this, it's been a long time since Volition's done anything that's truly spoke to me. I thought Saints yeah. Row, something about it looked off from the moment they showed it. And the more they yeah. showed it, the less confident I felt like I was in the game. Yeah. And then when it came out, I felt a little like vilified or, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah. okay, I felt, I felt yeah. yeah, vindicated. That's what I meant. Uh, where you're, you're looking and you're saying, it sucks that I felt that way, but it sucks even more that my gut seems to have been proven right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you you share my thoughts 110% because I loved Saints Row Run. I adore Saints Row 2. I felt like they got a little bit too crazy with Saints Row 3. And ever since I wanted them to get back, to go back to basics, get the, you know, have the balance of, of crazy, you know, in check. Um, and it just sucks that this wasn't it. It, it really does. I, I still would love to go back to it, um, uh, and, and try it out for myself, but yeah, um, this is Embracer. Again, we're talking about big acquisitions of things and things going right, things going wrong. Uh, this is one of the, the, the times where things go wrong and they have to reshuffle. Now, I, the, the one positive note is like, now that it's back with Gearbox, that could mean like Gearbox could put them back on track. You know, they, mm-hmm. they got to earn their quarter probably again, but Volition's talented. It sucks that they're going to be like Gearbox support studio a, but you know, at, at least they're with an organization that understands the basics of, of what makes a good looter and a shooter experience. So True. yeah, hurts, they have a very big thing with that, but maybe one day, maybe one day so, they could come back. You know, we, we, we are circling in this something that is an unfortunate reality of, uh, of any industry and any uh, company that exists long enough. Um, I, I don't know that I can say that I fully agree with you that Volition is talented in their current form. Yeah. I think because I, I think it's me being hopeful. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. because you remember a version of Volition yeah. that spoke to you and that yeah. was that. And I understand that that's like, there's a really strong pull to look at things in the best way that you remember them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't feel like they've shown any of the promise of games that drawn me to them. Even ones that had Jake red faction gorilla is a really crazy game. Yeah, and it's so unique and fun. Uh, they did a remastered. Sadly, I did not get around to it yet. But I played Gorilla a ton on PS3. It was really. It, it tried to push outside. Be like, what if we really made destructible environments something in the game? And they did a, a great job on, during the PS3. I feel like Volition was fantastic during the late PS2 into the PS3 era. But it seems like this last gen, they've just not struck there. But you know. As much as Volition may be the same in name, the they are not the same in employee. They are not yeah. the same developers that made Saints Row one or two. There, you know, Saints Row three probably didn't happen with the same group of people that wanted Saints Row one and two, or at least Saints Row four didn't happen with them in mind. And that's not a bad thing, but you know, I, I talk about every developer eventually faces a reckoning of falling out with at least one person who always loved them up until they didn't. And they go, wow, it's weird because I always felt like I love Sony Santa Monica. I love Naughty Dog. I love Bethesda Game Studios. Until one day you look and you go, I thought I loved them, but I've not 
loved a game from them in 10 years. I think a good a good example is BioWare right now. Right? Oh, yeah, dude. God bless Anthem, by the way. But well, it okay, flew too close is, to the sun. It flew too I, close to the sun. I got the platinum in Anthem. I was one of those God weird bless. people that loved <laughs> Anthem for yeah. what it was and the what potential it, it had. Sure. It is a, it is a flawed game. That Absolutely should have done is. a lot more, but I agree, yep. and I think that they know because I, I've been saying that the way that they so quickly reverted back to Dragon Age and Mass Effect, even when the last Mass Effect game was a huge disappointment for many people, yep. it goes to show that they are at a point where they're scared, and the only way they see forward is to play it safe with beloved IP. That they they are, I would be surprised to see them approach a new IP anytime soon yeah. because at this point they don't want to get the ea acts that ea has done to many studios it's purchased Absolutely. and that's unfortunate but yeah. yeah there was a point in time where i loved bioware and i can't yeah. say i love bioware as a developer right now no. even though i loved anthem for some crazy <laughs> reason you know <laughs> and it, it's funny that like when we talk about like playstation studios right i think playstation has done a great job at, of solidifying its culture in their studios um, you know, we talk about Naughty Dog and, and its shift from Jack to Uncharted to Last of Us into whatever the future project is. They've evolved and matured into such a, um, a beloved studio. And even as their figureheads leave, it seems like the culture provides other figureheads to come in and make those names. Th- that name for themselves. Um, Santa Monica, you know, I was joking with Kyle on, on our Patreon show, the road to greatness when talking about in our spoiler cast, God of war. And I'm like, what are, <laughs> joking? I'm like, what are we going to admit? Santa Monica, probably the, the, the most uh, talented studio Sony's got, right? Like this is, this is something else. Um, but even them, they've had their trials, their, their you know, their, their high times, the turbulent times with Ascension and then coming back, into grace with God of War 2018. So everything ebbs and flows, but it's how you retain, I think, the culture of studios is so important for the success of those studios. Yeah, no, agreed. So this is unfortunate, but I agree with you that even if we don't go get Volition and name, maybe somewhere in that there's still a core team that can work together. And I think the bigger question here is that I don't think that the new Volition needed to make Saints Row. And... As someone who's not a huge Saints Row fan, I'll say this. Mm. I I agree with a lot of the people that say, if you don't have a love for a series and you want to come in and rewrite that series, it's you're seldom going to speak to the people that the game needs to speak to. And at some point, if Saints Row was going to be so different, what was the value of calling it Saints Row? At what point does it make more sense to go, this is Volition, this is the team that made Saints Row, but this is a new IP where you don't carry the expectations of what a Saints Row game should be. Instead, you look at this game for what it is. And then I think you would have also gotten a slightly more critically unbiased opinion of to what that game was. I still think in looking at everything I've seen about the game that I wouldn't have liked it, but I don't think it helped. And so I, I really think sometimes... You know, um, Neil Druckmann is, was actually around whenever uh, Naughty Dog was doing uh, the Jack games. And even though he was, he kind of, when he talks about Jack, you can tell that in his mind, he's like, that wasn't my baby. I don't yeah. really feel the love to go back to that because that's not, I don't have an idea for that. Even if he loves it, right? He, they could probably still make a great Jack game, but I think he knows that deep down, he's not the person with that vision and he doesn't want to be saddled with that responsibility. 
when there might be someone who comes in and can handle that and has that love and he can see it and go, yes, you have a vision. You have something we can really work with. And it's why I think what makes PlayStation Studio, I echo this all the time. I think PlayStation gives their studios at least the illusion of um, the freedom to let things go. The freedom yeah. to restart things, the freedom to make the games that's going to that that is their baby, right? So like yeah. you could say taking a risk for on The Last of Us was like this is what Naughty Dog wanted to do. It's something weird and unique. They could have kept on making Uncharted games. In fact, they did. But like they took a risk here and they they stuck the landing. You know, Corey wanted to remake God of War's image, you know. Uh uh, you know, he's a dad now. I know. Many of my players are probably dads now. They could maybe resonate with this character now more than ever. And you're seeing mm-hmm. that happen, right? So, you know, even even down to like, how, how could you have assumed, guessed that, you know, a sucker punch would come in and go, we're going to make an authentic samurai Kurosawa love letter because this is what <laughs> we really want to do. Yeah. And then like they get like ambassadorships to the island. That's how good they did of a job. Yeah. Like, yeah. The and freedom- for all of the uh, for all the hate that it got, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. uh for for all the mixed reception that it got, I should balance. Uh the fact that Days Gone was made from a studio yes. like Bend, who was not known for original IP at that point, they had been known as a studio to work with existing IP, and really, for the most part, just a transfer that PSP, uh, handheld. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, studio, and yeah, even like for all the faults of Days Gone, and then to see them go, okay, you guys get another crack at it. Like that's 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 crazy. And yeah, you're right. Like, dude, they already had a zombie game, and then like. There were people that championed that and saw the vision through. That's yeah. that's cool. You don't see that really anywhere else. So you know, I, I, I do wonder. You say we don't see that anywhere else, but I have been perpetually curious if Pentiment started development prior to the purchase from on, on Oblivion side. If that started development and was already an idea and in some form of work before Microsoft's purchase or after. Because I'll say Pentiment is a bold move. The fact yeah. that they would fund that game, it's a it's a it's a cheap game. And there's a question that I'm gonna the answer Go for I want to give is kind of like that. It's not right here. I, I'm gonna mm-hmm. wait a little bit. Although it is a good you know what screw it. we'll we'll pull it in Go here for it. it's a good question for the thing. Uh, yeah. so in while we're talking about all these old IPs, uh, w- one of the persons who who came in on uh, Twitter said it's it's at Yoki BTS. They said, oh, "Do you think up, PlayStation will ever revive classic old IP games?" And while this is not an old classic IP game, something I've been really championing myself and and I've, me and Chris have talked a lot about my particular view is that I really want Sony to look within who they can work with and give existing IP or new, very small IP to teams and be like, just make something that's small budget that seems like we would never make, but we're just going to do it because Pentiment is a game that I would not have expected to have been made. It's not a game I would have expected Microsoft to have greenlit. We can't say right now whether that is because they're in that weird transitional period where it may have just been something far enough along that Microsoft said, finish it. But it is kind of amazing to see Microsoft put out a game like Pentiment as an Xbox Game Studios published game. And Sony does that sometimes. Concrete Genie was a huge surprise. And I, yeah. it's that type of love and, and odd game. 
And my personal view of that, right, is I do think PlayStation will bring more classic old IP back. I think that there was a higher chance of that happening more frequently when Sean Layden was involved just because he had that kind of personality and he really championed that. I loved him coming out on stage with the the shirt for Crash Bandicoot. And then, of course, that happening. Then later him coming out on stage with the medieval shirt and then letting medieval happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it was a little more, but I still think there's an a really great path forward for someone to be like, look at some of these legacy IP that are very gameplay focused and let's just have fun and say, you know, we have God of War Ragnarok to tell our story heavy games. What does it hurt if we make a twisted metal game for $2 million at lucid games or where, or fire sprite, wherever that rumored game is and be like, let's just let that be. And you know what? As long as the game makes $2 million money well spent because it's, it it helps build this image of PlayStation as a, as a, you know, a, a mainstay in gaming where pillar of gaming history and this is us celebrating that history Mm -hmm. yeah and it can do Uh, well as we've seen nintendo do with many of their legacy ip so i I don't know how successful kirby is but they keep making those damn things (laughs) they should stop kirby's an abomination uh so (laughs) i'll say it i'll say it again uh kirby shouldn't exist so okay i'll uh, i'll say this um yes and you'll probably see it soon i think they're Definitely going to go to the tre- treasure trove. I think that's exact one of the exact reasons why you buy Blue Point. Mm. So, yes. I Though, interesting that you buy Blue Point, and then right now, as far as we know, Blue Point's working on an original IP. Yeah, they say a lot of things. They do. <laughs> you know, I they, think and, they, and they said we're, we're going to make original content. It's like, what does that mean, Blue Point? What does that mean? Just tell us you're making Metal Gear. You know, just get it off your chest. <laughs> tell us you're making Legend of Jagoon. We know these things are happening because we you know, said it with confidence. We said it with Gusto, so it needs to happen. I, doing this would be really interesting, but Chris has had this long-running joke kind of running with our uh, my, my best friend, one of my best friends in life, uh, Saul, one of our original, original uh, co-hosts. He was who I started the podcast with, and he was adamant that they would never make a Bloodborne sequel without From. And I slightly agree with Chris on the fact that if Sony were ever going to look at a developer and say, who could make a Bloodborne sequel with it not having to weigh down From, we could still get Miyazaki to come in and basically do exactly what uh, George R.R. R. Martin did with Elden yeah. Ring, where he creates the lore but then lets the game be made from someone else. I think that there's a good argument that Blue Point's work on Demon Souls was so good and they understand how to break a game down and be like, this is what makes this game feel this way. That if there was ever going to be a Bloodborne 2 not from FromSoft, I could see that being a Blue Point thing. Like, we proved ourselves with Demon Souls Remake. And now we're going to dig into what people love about Bloodborne. And we're going to bring that to a new title with Miyazaki helping write the lore and everything. And then we're going to work hand in hand with him. <sighs> Us Bloodborne fans, we're uh, we're a really neurotic bunch. But I'm gonna get two trophy room bits out of the way right here, right now. It has been uh, on the day of recording, 2,800 days since the launch of Bloodborne. We demand anything: a PC port, a remake, a remaster. I don't care. Just a JPEG, <laughs> I'll take it. But we're also you know, if there is, and and I think there's this growing idea, if there is anyone out there that could tackle IP, that understand it, an IP so intimately that they've never made, but they make from the ground up like it was their own, it is Bluepoint. 
I agree. Um, you know, I think the, I think most of their remakes and remasters show that. You know, Shadow and Colossus remake is stellar. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Demon Souls remake is a remake even down to its faults. <laughs> like yes, it's. it's it, and it's stellar. Bold. I love Bold. that they do that. You know, like that's the kind of moves that you have to have. And Blue Point is in a cheap part of the country. They're in Texas. Uh, they're very, they're very easy. They're a, a studio that you can employ and run people there. And the cost of living is easy to keep these costs of games down. And they're a smart, tech savvy studio that knows how to do a lot with a little. I think that they are really an ace in the hole for Sony. And I think Sony's oh, the, known that forever. And that's yeah. why they have so closely worked with them to never truly let anyone else get a chance to get in there. Yeah. Sony has almost consistently kept them on the lockdown. The yes. only, the only game I can even actually think of that they did a remaster of that wasn't a Sony published game was, was, was the Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Yep. Metal Gear Solid so, collection. And, and honest, to, honest to God here, um, the way they start is you need to give us faith. So Demon Souls is a stellar remake, and I, I think it gives us a lot of faith that they could tackle a Bloodborne sequel. But we know that PlayStation loves, you know, director's cuts. They love the definitive versions, whatever part ones, whatever. They love a good remake. They love an extra buck. And we're at easy lay where, again, trophy room bit here. You say it with confidence. You say it with gusto. And it shall happen. You're going to get a Bloodborne remake before you get anything else. So it's Agreed. going to show people, oh, Bluepoint knows what's up and they know how to make Bloodborne. So now that you have the foundation, they have the tools that have made Bloodborne numero uno or remade it. Uh, now you can start making Bloodborne 2. And you're right. I think you bring on Miyazaki as the George Railroad Martin of, hey, give us some <laughs> weird... Here's an afternoon. Sit down with us um, and talk to us. Because I think Miyazaki, I, I think there was an interview with him that said something along the lines of like, oh, wow, when they said they wanted to make Demon Souls, um, <laughs> we're like, wow, that's a that's a feat. Good luck. And when they saw it, they were, they were impressed by it. And Miyazaki was just like visually... Uh, it, it showed that Elden Ring had had to do something special. So oh, yeah, so I Which, think even, good good on them. They mostly succeeded there. I still think Demon yeah. Souls is the artistic. Okay, let me let me take that back. Try carefully. I have not played. I haven't played enough Elden Ring to speak with that much authority. So let me take a step back. The five to six, whatever it was, hours that I played of Elden Ring, I think the amount of detail visually. Okay. And the artistry within that detail still slightly surpasses Elden Ring, though I think Elden Ring took a large step up from Dark Souls 3. And Dark yes. Souls 3 was already a very pretty game, but when you have hardly any competition in your sector, it's easy <laughs> to get away. And I think Demon's Souls remake was like, oh, that's like our game. But someone else did it, so we've got yep. to at least try and match that. And I, I do think Elden Ring is quite a good-looking game. Elden Ring is a game where they're just like, hey, let's take Tolkien-inspired things and let's just make <laughs> them creepy. Yeah. <laughs> let's make yeah, let's it take, dark. Let's take high fantasy and make it dark fantasy. <laughs> yeah. And let's get shades of scarlet in there. That's going to be great. 
And, yeah, I know uh, there's some interesting moments, sadly, that have been ruined for me to some degree in Elden yeah. Ring, uh, definitely from an artistic standpoint. Uh, that's why I actually stopped myself because I thought of the few things that I had seen that were artistically, they're beautiful. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter how detailed or not they may be. They're very interesting, um, very interesting moments. But uh, okay, moving on. Sony has committed to pumping more money into its China Hero Project initiative. Uh, The company announced that they will be adding about 1 million yuan, (laughs) or about $140,000. But wait, there's more. Sony will now be fully publishing RPG Lost Soul Asad globally. Originally, they were still going to be publishing it, uh, but not globally, which has also been delayed to early 2024. A devastating blow to my 2023 Metacritic draft. It was one of my last it picks because i had hoped that that game would come out and uh really mm. rock things off but i'm a, I'm a little disappointed in that lost soul aside i've been following since the uh initial youtube reveal from the soul developer and it's a little disappointing that six years on we're still talking about it being two years away <laughs> uh so for me i think this is really cool uh you're seeing them dive into different areas uh cultures and saying let's make something together you know, I think. Um, oh my gosh, what's uh, what's the, um, the 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 South Korean uh, action game that that looks like um, you know Bayonetta esque with the pretty lady that arms turn into like giant oh, guns? Oh yeah, Are you talking oh, about oh wait, giant guns? Are you talking about Project Eve? Yeah, Project Eve. Coming? But it, or but what it, is it called now? Stellar yeah, exactly. Blade. Stellar Blade, thank you. You're seeing that with Stellar Blade. I hate that um, name. Project uh, Eve is way cooler. Project hey, Eve is so much cooler. Real it's way cooler. It has yeah. a mystery to it, and Stellar Blade does not. <laughs> yeah. So, like to me, it's just like this. This is cool that they're going in different areas and saying, "Hey, work with us here." Um, you're seeing that with like Microsoft as well. Invest in these companies. So, more investment to me. Uh, in different areas means different ideas means different takes, um, and it, it's only it's only good for us. So I'm excited, uh, not because I know much about this game, but really because the promise that you know this can add to the culture that is gaming. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, ha- have you played anything that's come out of the uh, existing China Hero uh, project? Yes, I played. Oh my god, uh, it was the bunny with the the big old Fist. mechanical forge yes, the shadow Fist. torch. I there love that go. game. I, I love actually that, re- game. that game was challenging. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. I thought the story was interesting. Yeah, that game was great. I loved it. I yeah. Um, so I I've played that thus far, but like I'm really interested in like the what is it like the the Sun Wukong game uh, that seemingly oh, that, Microsoft yeah. may have the 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 publishing rights to. Like that's cool. Again, different ideas from different places. We don't always have to just go to Eastern Europe to 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 get different ideas. We could go to India. We could go to China. We could go to South Korea, all these different places. Well, and I like that because like we, we typically see Eastern things as Western audience ourselves. We typically see Eastern things come out of Japan. So yep. it's really great to look at some of the Eastern culture that's not specifically 
made with a Japanese lens in mind. So seeing some of these things come from like a Korean or a Chinese background and the culture that comes within that and then how they view and create stories within that in mind, uh, I was actually really surprised that China Hero Project brought Fist. And in many ways, I think Fist is an allegory for the Chinese government. It is. Very <laughs> right. It definitely I'm feels a little that surprised way. that that title was able to come out of China, which is kind of cool. I don't know if it's just because it's just vague enough that it's yeah. more that us as Westerners are looking into it and going, well, that looks a lot like a uh, talking maybe bad about around with localization <laughs> or like maybe, maybe the cell is just like, it's America question mark, you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, maybe very like, and they're like, are you sure? Cause it sounds like us. And he's like, no, 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 def- definitely them. Uh, you know? <laughs> but like, yeah, no, it's, yeah. there's a, yeah, I was very surprised of the narrative out of that game for sure. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, let's see. Moving on. Uh, it appears that Sony is going to be clamping down on spam games being released on the PSN. If a report on DEX.exe is to be believed, the publisher has sent out a notice to developers that the company will be fighting the influx of these types of games, which, to be honest, has very much paced up lately. Yeah. Uh, too much. And the punishments could go so far as being completely blacklisted from the store. Now, I want to start with this one real quick because I want to see yeah, where you are. I know that everyone has their view on uh, at what point something is approaching the idea of, of censorship. And I don't want to act like Sony does not have their own right to be like, this is our platform. We will control yeah. what games are on it. I certainly think that that's true. And I certainly believe in their ability to do that. My personal view looking at Sony is that while I do not like these games, I bemoan the fact that my name is Mayo is a game all the time. And while I would never play that game or get that platinum, I don't I care do. if any, other, I don't care if problem. anyone else does, you know what I mean? Yeah. So my thing is like, at what point, does it make more sense for Sony not to say that we are going to ban these games and not allow them versus saying, if you want to make this type of game and there's an audience that's hungry for this thing, fine. But we are not going to make it readily, easily accessible. Instead, we're going Mm. to give you, uh, we're we're going to give you different listing. We're going to, I said the word earlier and I can't even think of it now, but essentially we're going to hide you down. You're not going to get priority. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, D-List, I think it just takes it completely off the store, yeah. you know? I think, yeah. for me, I think that the game should still be allowed in the store, but you shouldn't get priority. Like, when you go to search things, it shouldn't come up whenever you type something in that's vaguely close. You should have to yeah. search the exact name of the game. Because, to me, I don't... I feel like Sony will be in its best bet and its best position to say, we don't care what you play. We are not going to dictate what you can or cannot play, but we will dictate what we do or don't give extra mm. attention to. What we highlight on the store what we give priority search to so when you search something games that are not under this category are going to come up before you ever see anything that's in this category not to say that you can't play the game or find it but we're not going to aid in its spread and personally for me i think that's my best middle ground because the question i really have is what do they mean by spam games and at what point does sony say this game that by most people, or at least the people who are really looking at its count, it just should not be looked at as a spam game. And they go, well, now I can't play this game just because Sony decided to draw the line. I think think the issue you have here is that you don't have context to what... You don't have context or the definition of what makes a spam game. It's very broad. And then at what point can that change? Because they're writing the definition at this point, as they have the right to do. 
So, you know, it's a very interesting point. Um, I feel like, it, first off, we've seen way too, way too many of these games. Way too many. It is an issue. Uh, in the, on the trophy room, we do something called Prepare the Drop, where we talk about the latest and greatest, all things PlayStation dropping and PlayStation store for blah, blah, blah. We talk about all the games. And you'd be surprised how many games is like Super Jump, Super Cat Jump Hot Dog. And it's exactly super taco what, jump. Yeah, super taco <laughs> jump. Yeah. Super baby jump. Like who, who knows? Like it's just it's all like ridiculous. You're just pressing one button over and over again. You get these weird like dot IO games that pollute the storefront where all you have to do is press X for 20 minutes and you got the platinum. Um you know, there's, it's such an intricate problem because I do think it exists. And I think if you delist or you hide them, you're still doing what, like, you're still, um, you know, you're still blocking that, that thing from seeing the marketplace. You're just, you know, by pushing it in a corner, you're still saying that this thing's voice isn't as important as this thing. You're still, sure. you sure. might as well be delisting it. Um, you know, PlayStation has a right to to do it because it is their storefront. I understand what people have when it comes to censorship in games. Like, I think there's a, a more reasonable argument with the whole Martha is dead thing where, you know, there's a grotesque scene that is edited yeah. out in the PlayStation version. I feel like that's more, um, you know, censorship than, hey, super jump jump. Can't, you're not, you're not. In yeah. It. And it speaks to a, another broader, a, a broader issue that, you know, there's been a lot of conversations, uh, especially around more mainstream creators of why you're hiding your your trophies. And I would add, I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add, why do you care? Yeah. Like to me, I think we have a problem in the PlayStation ecosystem where we're taking a look at platinum games and we're doing literal plat like platinum trophies, not platinum games of the developer. Um, we're taking a look at these platinum trophies and we're assigning worth to them and our worth is different for everybody so like for me i i feel like a trophy a platinum trophy should be achievable by most people as long as you love that thing you should be able to go in and platinum that thing because that's how i view platinums but some people are like no you need to earn it like bloodborne platinum is difficult good it is yeah it's, it is then platinum it and i've platinum that i platinum sekiro um i've platinum elden ring i because i love those games yeah, not because they're difficult, but some people just go, "Well, I have the platinum to Sekiro, and I have thoughts on you saying that the God of War Ragnarok trophy is too difficult to get." Because I platinumed Sekiro, and I'm here to tell you, too bad, so sad. Difficulty trophies, right? Um, so, to me, I, I feel like we have to kind of reconfigure our brains to what a, a platinum trophy really means or tr trophies in general. Cause we have this idea and especially like as a PlayStation host, like people may think, Oh, you only have 51 platinum trophies. You cover PlayStation. Ooh. And there's that, that, <laughs> that weird idea to it. Or I sometimes think I only have 51 platinum trophies. I should really get that number. I host a PlayStation show. It's like, you get that weird self doubt where Kyle is a, he loves a good easy plat. He likes the dopamine of, of seeing the, the trophy hit on, on the screen. He has like over 200, God knows what, trophies. And I tell him, are they real or are they fake? <laughs> and he hates that because like, some people will look at that going, mm, no, that's, that doesn't count. 
well, why doesn't it? Um, you know, to me, I, I, I get easy plats, but it's just for platinums for a game that I really like that I couldn't platinum. And that's my symbolic. I always say my symbolic platinum. Um, so <laughs> it's like a surrogate, it's a surrogate, yeah, it's, platinum. it's a surrogate platinum. <laughs> so it's like for me, we have this weird, we have this weird fascination with trophies and their meaning and their, their meaning is so much is so different than others. I would say that this goes more in line, less of censorship, but more of what Sony's been listening to a lot of uh, indie developers talking about how hard it is to get their game seen on this platinum, uh, sorry, get on, on this platform because of these mm-hmm. things. And as someone who has uh, been on the other side of of the gaming industry, I can tell you that there's a lot of thoughts that we have on that indie developers have on marketplaces of all kinds, not just PlayStation, but PlayStation is the hardest, one of the hardest uh, platforms to work with. So I think this is them trying to... Yeah, yeah, I mean, not the Darth, actually, the excellent... There's there's a deluge of games constantly hitting the platform. Uh, You know, my real thing, my only thing here is that I feel like the first way to do this is that it feels like Sony punishing developers for doing what Sony's been allowing them to do. Because I think the first line of defense for Sony here would have been simply to look and say, uh, you know, we don't think that that game is deserving of a platinum. Because we've heard stories in the past, uh, many years ago, about games being like, we tried and we could not get Sony to allow us to have a platinum. But then My Name is Mayo has a platinum. It's like, how yeah. does that come across? So I think Sony's first line of defense should have just been to dissuade people from making it by saying, you can make the game, but we're not going to allow it to have a platinum. So your market, because of the value of a platinum, is going to plummet. And you can put your game on our platform, but it won't really perform well enough. And after one or two games do that and people go crap, people don't want these games unless there's that dopamine hit of a platinum, then yeah. they stop making those games anyway. And you end up fixing the problem without ever having to retroactively go back and say, listen, we'll let too much of you go through. Now we got to start taking your games off of our platform. One is more proactive and one is more reactive. And it tends to work better to be proactive. And yeah. Sony, unfortunately, just did not do that. I hope moving forward, that's really their answer, is maybe... Take some of them, do a clean slate and say, listen, we're taking these games off because they're doing more harm than good as far as as we see fit. But moving forward, you won't be able to get a platinum if your game, if we do not see, we'll be the arbiters of what trophies you can and can't get because we approve the games or deny the games. So we will deny your trophy list if we see a platinum and you can make your game and it can release in every way. And I think it would deal with the problem on its own. I, I think something along those lines needs to happen, um, but it's more like that's probably there. They just haven't told us like that. Again, I, I think we're all working at it. We out of we don't know the context yet. We don't know the definition yet because there's True. probably something where they're just like, it can't just be one thing, like one action over and over again. It has to be a not to say a certain amount of length, but there needs to be you know X, Y, and Z in this game for it to have a platinum. And the game cannot be, you know, we get to decide if a free game gets a platinum or not. Because the one thing mm-hmm. that annoys me is like games like Fortnite that I've I've thrown hundreds of hours into, thousands at this point. Uh, I don't have a, a, an achievement for it. And like, why not? Or sorry, a trophy in it. God, I said achievement. Sorry, blasphemy. <laughs> I'm sorry, my Boo I, this guy. <laughs> the 360 <laughs> fan in me came out for a brief second. I would like to apologize to everyone. I'm sorry. I briefly thought about Gears of War and how amazing it is. That said, um, but like I've you know, I've 
I've played so much Fortnite. I I want that platinum trophy in it. Sure. Just one. No, I, so. I understand that. That's actually how I've stumbled on a few platinums. I played thousands of hours of Terraria, and one day I just sat there and thought, "Why don't I have the platinum in this?" And yeah. I just I knocked it out. I mean, like it was super fun to do. I didn't mind it. Uh, but yeah, it is funny how sometimes you can play something forever and be like, "How do I not have mm-hmm. something for X, this?" Y, you know? or Z. Yeah. But you know that goes back to your thing of how much value do you personally put on trophies versus how much do we collectively put on trophies and then how much value therefore gets sent to the developers and Sony to think of well damn do we have to have platinums because people view it as a motivating tool for purchasing which means that people will buy more games so we'll make more of our percentage for our cut. It's a really weird cycle, and I love trophies. I've loved trophies for years. I got out of trophy hunting for years as well because there is aspects of it that are not great. They mm-hmm. keep For as much as it helps you finish a game for about as much as you're ever going to finish it and really see everything that that game has to offer, it's also going to keep you from something else you may have enjoyed and played yeah. just as much because you were fascinated with getting a little virtual trophy that ultimately doesn't matter. And I say that as someone who has like 130 Platinums now or mm-hmm. whatever it be. So... It's it's kind of a mixed bag, but trophies will they're a great tool to help people want to stick with the platform. They are a great thing for you to look and look at your achievements. And I think that there's I think trophies so far are doing a far better job than the uh, very early days of PlayStation Stars. I'm not very impressed with that service uh, yet. It's yeah. early, and I'm willing to give it time, but. There is something to be said about having a connection to a console or at least a brand that you've spent so much of your life and time to, to look back and go, man, my first platinum was infamous on the PlayStation 3. That, and like, yeah, that's crazy. My first platinum, I think, was the Order 1886. Oh, wow. Yeah, think look at you that. go. Yeah. Think about that. I used to not care. And for everybody, just to get some some leeway, a little history about me, just brief, um, I'm I'm a pretty platform agnostic guy. Like I grew up with Nintendo as my main console of choice. I loved Mario. I know you have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't hate it, but <laughs> I, go ahead. Paint, yeah. paint me in a negative light. Why don't you, Joe? <laughs> Listen, I believe Mario is a villain, an intergalactic uh, being that we both should fear, godlike even, fear yet revere. So... Trust me, that's Fair a enough. that's a story for another day. But like for me in my teen years, I jumped from PS2 to Xbox constantly, and I remember uh, the 360 days early into that generation. I chose my side. I was an Xbox kid, right? Um, you know, I, I have some of my fond. It's one of my favorite consoles of all time, but. You only get to so many red rings until you get disenfranchised. My number was six. So, oh yeah. <laughs> My, so, minus six too. That's that's legit crazy. Because God bless the stories for all of them. The first Xbox we ever got, Christmas Day, opened it, Red Ring went out of the box, took it to Best wow. Buy, returned it, brought it back home. Within the end of the month, Red Ring Red again. Ring. Jesus. Took it back, got another one. Had the next one for three months. Sent it off. Microsoft was supposed to be repairing it. They sent it back. Cool. Next one, Red Ringed about six months later. Sent it off. Microsoft yeah. say that they got it and they sent it back. We never saw it again. We lost no. our Xbox. Two more so, Xboxes that we got. <laughs> yeah, so we, six was our final number two. We got to where we wouldn't even send it in. We just wrap it in a hot towel, plug it in. <laughs> I don't know if you ever tried that trick. Oh, oh yeah, I did. I, I know exactly how you feel. So, like, for me, it was just like, I remember seeing off, even the Slim version had it. They said yeah. it didn't, but I it had it. <laughs> yes, it um, did. 
And uh, <laughs> thank you, because I, when I tell some of my more Xbox-leaning friends, I no, it didn't. You're a liar. I'm like, really? Because I saw it. They just removed the LED. Anyway, oof, I get <laughs> I get heated. But Can't it was have a red that, ring if you don't have those lights. <laughs> that's right. It was at that point where I was just like, okay, I've been out of PlayStation for so long. I worked at GameStop. I literally bought a PS3 Slim off of some guy that was just trying to get weed money. And oh, of course. I, of course. <laughs> Classic. I, I have that story. I bought a I bought a 40 gig backwards compatible PlayStation for my buddy. Or mm-hmm. 60 gig, I'm sorry. Yeah, for 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 $40. <laughs> yep. Just for some reefer. Jesus. So like, don't do drugs, kids. You end up making foolish decisions by selling your consoles. And I I, I go to my, my buddy Mike at the time and go, Mike, I'm new into the PlayStation land. Where do I go? And he goes, you just need one game, my friend. And he gave me Uncharted 2 and uh, the complete edition. And I remember playing that game and literally seeing the closest thing to God. I was like, video games are this? They can do this? This is crazy. This is nuts. This is That's far a landmark title if there ever was one. It really was. And ever since then... That's where I've been the PlayStation guy. But even to, even to that extent, during the PS3 era, I was just like, put trophies, whatever. I don't care. I like, <laughs> I like, I like the numbers more. And then there was something about the, the PlayStation 4 where I was really loving the Order 1886. It needs a sequel. Just don't no, take man. it out seriously. After my own heart. <sighs> take the film green out. You got something there. Let's play around with oh, it. Oh, I don't no. even. I don't even mind that. But at the same time, if they if they took the the letterboxing out mm-hmm. and then took the film remote, I'd still be fine. I personally love those aspects. I think that oh. that game has such a distinct style. Yeah, oh, I love playing that game. I play Ooh-wee. it all the time. Yeah, it's great. And so, like, I, I I platinumed it, and that's when it it hit. And then Bloodborne came out, and and that was. That was an experience. You, so, you know, that was my return. The Order eighteen eighty six was my return to platinuming. I played mm-hmm. that game, and I was on my. I, I replay that game like every year and a half or so. Uh, so I was on like my first replay of the game, and I thought to myself, you know, I don't have the platinum in this. I just I'm missing a few collectibles, and so I got it and I knocked it out, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot how good that could feel. And I, I had like seven platinums at that point. So do you think this is like twenty seventeen, yeah, or something like that, uh, and. Oh, it was 2016, and then I was playing the 2015 Need for Speed, and I was like, "I kind of, I want to go for platinum in this." Yeah. And then from there, it just went from. By the end of that year, I had I had like started with seven platinums, and I was already at like 30, and I was like, "Oh god, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah." So like that's that's my like PlayStation history in a nutshell. Is just like that. That's why I I I think my view is in our view actually is so unique because we appreciate everything because we have fond memories of, of really everything. Oh, um, for sure, dude. Fable is one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, it's, absolutely. it's so good. I love Brett, that. Are, game we, are we the same consciousness just split between two goddamn people? We very well might be. I don't know. We'll have to do a full check there because yeah. Fable is at the top of my Xbox IP. Like yes. I am, I'm I'm excited very cautiously for what they're doing with Fable because mm-hmm. Fable kept going into the ground. But Fable, the, Fable: The Lost Chapters is one of my favorite games of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. I can't even tell. I can't even put a number on how many times I beat that game. Oh, dude! Whenever I had my uh, my One X for a little bit, uh, the first thing I did was replay Anniversary in 4K. I was yeah. like, "Oh, this game is so good!" So like good. you just it's it, 
somehow I'll, I'll not play that game for a year or two and I'll come back to it. And I'm like, how did I forget <laughs> that this game is this good? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a classic, all-time classic. Absolutely. All right, let's see. Let's get moving on here. It seems as though Sony is silently releasing a pretty wonderful change to the console's Explore tab. Eagle-eyed users have noticed that changes have been made to the tab to make it more of an appealing service. It now displays information on your friends' activities and also more in-depth looked at trophies. It still does include PS blog posts, unnecessary potential God of War spoilers. That was rough. And oh, my God, yeah. News and notes from games you followed. This change, as of writing, does not appear to have been widely released, but the specter of Chris Figs <laughs> does have the new Explore tab, and it does appear to be much more usable. In the rare case, I accidentally pressed down whilst on the tab of the dashboard. Yeah, that's a real small feature, but I do. I like to see UI evolve a little bit throughout the, mm-hmm. the generation, and I've always liked Sony's take of start with something really good and then slowly make it better, whereas Xbox has really had a number of Throw something, get it out the door, completely change it, completely <laughs> yep. change it again. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we saw that with their new dashboard update, and, <laughs> and you could just picture like, they, first off, they're like, we gave you, uh, you know, wallpapers again. Everybody's like, yay! And they're like, now we're gonna make a dashboard where you can't goddamn see it. And everybody, <laughs> you could just picture in your head the Fallout meme of like everybody disliked it, and they're like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna think it over again, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's rough. I remember during the 360 generation sp- uh, speaking as I had one to start the generation and I played yeah. skate on it and I love that. But then my I got tired of them red ringing and eating my disc up because I had that I had the issue where it would put a ring on my disc. So I, I gave up. I was like, yeah. I've been wanting a PS3 anyway. My mom, I convinced her to actually buy me one. We could only ever really afford one console at a time. So I was like, look, this is what I want. But yeah. after I started working on my own and bringing my own money in, I bought like an Xbox two more times before the end of that generation. And I remember each time, and I borrowed my, my brothers at one point, every single time I would come back to Xbox, the, the dashboard was completely different. Yeah, You're And like, it was like, why happened? do I have to relearn how to use a console every yeah. single time I come into it? It's like PS3 is ultimately a better version of the same thing. And PS4 yes. did that, and PS5 is doing that. And it's like, you know, I love how we talked about earlier, iterates. sometimes you don't fix what's, you don't, you know, fix what's not broken. PlayStation's UI is not always a, a perfect, but I feel like it's been very consistent. And for the most part, they've tended to keep something that you can use out of the box if you're familiar with it. Whereas yeah. Xbox has on multiple occasions. I remember Xbox One, same situation. I came back to it after having one at launch and getting rid of it. Um, and then I came back to it for some odd reason. And it was when they implemented the Windows 10 uh, mm-hmm. dashboard and I was like okay what the hell it's it's been Worst. a rough ride so it's nice that, to see them moving that yeah nice to see them moving that direction and you're right I love how PlayStation they have this look they're like you know it, not even say it's function over style but like they have this this look that no matter if you, you came back from the PS3 to PS5 you have the idea of how to use this thing of 100%. how it works. And it's, it's, the it's funny, reason. the only time they've ever veered from that was for the Vita. Yeah. And I think that there might be a correlation in their head of maybe we should have just done the XMB. I'm almost surprised that as a last-ditch effort for Vita, they didn't try and update it to where the UI Same. was an XMB. Same. <laughs> I don't know if it would have helped. <laughs> even with the controllers, like, listen, PS3's controller was an abomination. But, like, you see it evolve with the DualShock 4, and then you're seeing perfection, literal perfection. With the dual oh, it's a and great I will take controller. 
I will take great controller. No. no. Oh, Xbox. Oh, the, the off sticks. No Get over yourself. <laughs> Get over yourself. The st- <laughs> stick placement doesn't matter. Okay. It's comfortable. Haptics feel great. I like the adaptive triggers. Sue me, internet. Sue me. <laughs> uh, speaking of controllers, uh, yes. Sony recently filed a new patent for a new technique that would detect when you put your controller down and take a break so that your PlayStation can automatically pause a game for you, similar to how earbuds with sensors in them stop the music if it does not detect the earpiece to be in your ear. Mm. This is an interesting one because I see some people going like, oh, I don't really need that. But if they already have all of the stuff needed to make this happen, yeah, you know, I can, it's very easy to pause my music. But you know what? I love these earphones because if I just pop them out of my ear, it stops playing the music when I pop them back in. Bam, it's right back to it. I just yeah. heard it ding because it, it knew it was in my ear again. It was like, oh, okay, let's keep going. Where are earbuds it's, it's are you nice rocking feature. right now, by the way? Oh, man, I'm rocking the Pixel Buds. Pixel Buds. Uh, okay. I can't remember. Pixel Buds A, maybe. Okay. They came okay. free with my uh, my Pixel 6. Uh, but I love these things. They're Humble very brag. I, I have AirPod Pros. And my favorite feature about the AirPod Pros, again, humble brag, I'm an Apple slut, um, <laughs> is uh, I love when the earbud gets stuck in my ear and I have to fish it out. A uh, really great design, Apple. You guys really crushed it. Um, really, I really love the panic that something is stuck in my ear. Um, and that I may need to get tweezers. That's always that excellent. That is rough. But the sound quality is great. So like you give it a take. No, this is a great feature because I do put my controller down. I would love like a smart controller where it's just like, hey, uh, maybe we don't need haptics right now. You put your controller down. We sense there's no handprint, whatever the case is. I don't know. Um, and we're going to save your battery because God knows these controllers. If there's the only complaint to any PlayStation controller is these batteries are so so small. That never they, enough. I never agree. Enough. I mean, I do have. I, I have just learned very early on to always have two controllers. Get a controller charging stand and the PS5. Great because you don't have to add anything onto it to make it happen. And just rotate those two. I was playing God of War. It said controller's low. I slapped down that controller, picked the next one up, kept going. No thought about it. It's unfortunate that that's the solution though. It's unfortunate, and they know it. They know they get away with it as well. So, like, I have already five DualSense controllers. I got blue, red, purple, which is the best one, black, because it's better than the (laughs) white. I have four. (laughs) You have four. I have the God of War one. The God of War one, which is beautiful. Yeah, I got the God of War one, the Cosmic Red one. I got the Cosmic Red plates for my system. And on day one, I bought an extra controller. So I have the white controller that came with it, the white extra controller. I'm probably going to sell those because I don't need more than two. No. <laughs> I'm uh, about to just divest in those. I don't need them. Yeah, divest in them and then get like, I don't know, maybe the camo. Camo is very tacky, but like, you know, just get a better color. I'm I feel waiting. white is just so bland. Uh, it, yeah. it is, and they do show dirt. Yeah. and uh, okay, I'm I pretty, I'm pretty meticulous about keeping my hands clean. Yeah. And even mine have just a, not a dinge. I'll give it that. It's, it, the whole controller is not yellowing, but that yeah. texture of the PlayStation symbols holds a little bit of dead skin. And I'm, I'm sick of people, like, I'm, I'm sick of the shame because you saw that one, one controller where per, someone like just, Let's be honest. It looked like they took a dookie on that controller. Let's be real. <laughs> and, uh, and now everybody's like, like I saw some people like, I don't know why anybody would need to clean. Like, I wash my hands. I'm like, I do too. What are you trying to tell me? I don't. I'm oh, very meticulous. You, 
Dude, we have worked, me and you, it sounds like both worked at GameStop. And I will tell yeah. you, if anything, I've seen the worst of worst of controllers come in. Absolutely. I have, I have <laughs> dealt with some controllers and I have seldom seen anything online that matches the horrors I've seen in person. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's as much as I'll say. Yeah, Ooh. absolutely. Never buy a used system from GameStop. Just never. I will never buy a used controller unless it's nope. a system so old that you can't buy new. Yep. And even then, I'm super picky. I'm like, I don't know about this one. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cool patent, though. I do like this cool idea. Pat. Be curious cool. to see. You know, it kind of sounds like you're talking about, like, I don't know what the sensors would be for how they know if you do or don't have it picked up. But mm-hmm. do you remember the point in time where the dual sense, before we knew it as such, when it was just the new PlayStation controller, mm-hmm. had uh, something talking about there being heart rate sensors in the pads? Yes. Like in the palms? Yeah. What if that what if that technology has been there all this time and we just didn't know it? I doubt it because the cows are reading it, but it would yeah. be interesting if there's if there's some vestigial part of that where they can use that and go, that sensor that kind of just got left as part of us having to get out to market is beneficial yeah. in this way. But I guess what we can really do is look at the patent and see how the patent explains it functioning to know whether or not it's using anything or if it's more aptly doing something that I wonder, there has to be some kind of feedback. Something yeah. has to come back into it to tell it. Even if it's just a six-axis, it may be that it recognizes six-axis is at a perfect still point and not moving. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it is. It maybe it's a, I don't think it's no, all yeah, anymore. The gyroscope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. That it's like, oh, yeah, it's, user's not holding it. or it's, it's held in this position for so long, it's now in sleep mode. I think that, that that's probably it. Yeah. That would be pretty cool because, you know, definitely when you're fighting a certain boss in God of War Ragnarok's post-game and you get mad and you put the controller down, yeah, it's nice that the game just pauses for you. I, I haven't broken a – I'm a very sane individual. I came very close yesterday with that person in particular where I squeezed it. I could feel the plates of start the to pop. Yeah, start to like, <laughs> whoa, Joe, what are you doing? Start to sound like a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> oh, let's not get started. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know what? We have more news. So EA Sports yep. College Football was originally slated to return summer of 2023, but EA has announced that it is pushing that back to summer 2024 before the long-awaited return of what many say is their preferred football uh, game franchise. That means very little to me, but I have yep. a lot of people in my life who love those things. Are you much on uh, sports games? God, I can't even tell you who's in the, the playoffs. Uh. Me either. I don't watch sports besides soccer occasionally. I am known for loving some FIFA. I got the FIFA 15 Platinum on Vita early, uh, earlier this year or late last year. I think it was late last year. Yeah. Uh, I'm partial to some FIFA, but I never buy it day one because they don't change enough. Like My thing with sports games is I know Kyle last uh, week was talking about how great MLB The Show is, but for my personal view, since I don't follow sports and don't care about rosters or anything like that, I want features. Yeah. The only thing that's going to make me buy a new one is if there's a real feature. And I've noticed most sports games only really have a new feature every three or so years. I think most, I think most people have kind of figured that out too. Um, like it's like, yeah, you can wait a year or two, maybe even three and then jump back on it. But that casual base, man. And also, uh, well, where the money's say at. most people, it, that's where the money's at. And most people are weak. So they're like new thing, new number. Let's go. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm happy for you guys. I'm I'm glad EA's taking the time. But God, I remember actually a few weeks back, um, I was I was talking to someone. She's just like, "Could you name how many f- 
football teams can you name? Uh, shocking. And sh- then she goes, okay, for the teams you don't know, what cities are these teams from? Or what's the name of like, like the... All right, let me think this through. Minnesota like, Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. Baltimore Ravens. Yep. New York Giants. Yep, yep, but they play in New Jersey. What a lie. Interesting. Okay. I found out there's a team in South Carolina. Pittsburgh Steelers. There's like, Green I think it's like the Bay South Carolina, Packers. the Carolina pa- uh, uh, Panthers or something. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that team sucks so bad that neither <laughs> state wants them. They're just like, how about both? They're like, I assume. <laughs> no, we, that's is funny. it South Carolina? Is it North Carolina? Who knows? That, but it's Carolina. I can tell you, it's just no, that's Carolina. funny though. In thinking about it, I mean, I guess I've grown up and and around people who like it enough. But like, my dad is like super into racing stuff, so I, I know mm. more about NASCAR Fair. than I do, and I don't even really watch it. But I just, it's like one of those weird hobbies that him and I somewhat share. So like, I keep up with it just enough because I, I do find it enjoyable. But I know it's like a common point for us, so I enjoy being able to have something to talk with him about. Um, yeah, it's funny how it goes. Uh, I got a question for you, though, Joe. Oh, okay. Uh, looking at EA Sports College Football as kind of an underrated game, as many have seen, as Madden survived and it went away for many years. Uh, Rude Cold, one of our patrons, longtime patrons, longtime listener, he says, what is Joe's most underrated game that we should all check out? That's a question Ooh. for you only, good sir. Underrated game that we should all check out. That is such a good question. It's a hard off the top of your head question too. Isn't hard it? off the top that yeah, because there's like I always say Bloodborne because it's just like it's Bloodborne, baby. You need to play. How is that underrated though? But it's not underrated. It's <laughs> and not. you know what it is because it's not nearly as loved or at least bought as it should have been. I'll give it that. That game yeah. only sold like two million copies. That's an amazing yeah. game. Yeah, well, that's that's what the lame stream media wants to tell you. I believe it sold way more than that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying now. I'm looking behind me. One second. You, you buy us time while I look behind you. Hey, you don't worry about it. While he looks at his things, we're going to go ahead and knock out this next one real quick. After busting back onto the scene with a new trailer and release date, Dead Island 2 joins many other games this year and being pushed, hopefully one last time, to a new date of April 28th, 2023 from its original February spot. All right, time's up. You got an answer, Joe? <laughs> Listen, I only like, listen, I only, I'm I I the voice the, of the people. I only okay? play the rated games. That's right. I only <laughs> play the games. That, I, I, I hate to say that I'm the tastemaker, but like I am kind of the tastemaker in the games industry because I only like the, the big ones. <laughs> I don't know. How, um, how easy of you. You know, know. It, it's, it's very not, humble. This is such a weird question, right? But it's like most underrated game. I can never go there because I always know that I will eventually have missed something that I love. But a game that I really enjoyed that I've often mentioned in this category that I didn't see get a lot of love is a game called Omen Sight. Um, It was a little indie game. I wonder if uh, Kyle, being Mr. Indie that he is, checked out. But it's it's a smaller little 3D action game. Uh, I guess Brute Force. Brute Force on the the original Xbox. God bless okay. that game. There's an alligator man on it, I think, on the cover. Brute force. Oh, Brute force. yes. Yeah, I can't kick right. ass. Give it another Whew. chance. 
Yeah, there you go. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw one. Not like you can play it at any point in time today. Uh, but man, there was a lot of really odd PS2 games that I ended up playing uh, just from demo disc and stuff. One of my other go-to games that I don't know if it's truly underrated, but Maximo Ghost of Glory is one of my favorite little games yeah. that I don't hear enough people talk about, but I love it. It's one of my favorite PS2 memories. I got another one. Shout out to Marcus O'Neill. Um, he made us play Puppeteer. Oh, um, yeah. On, on man, uh, PlayStation Now. And, and I, I should go back to I tried on PS3 when it was a PS Plus game, and I still have yeah. a PS3. I may do that again. It's I a couldn't great get into game, it, man. but I didn't hate it. I just couldn't get yeah. into it at the time. But, you know, it's, tastes change a lot. Yeah. It's That's super a, That was a beloved game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, moving back on to uh, Dead Island 2, do you have any thoughts here? My only thing about Dead Island 2 is that when you've been away for so long, to come back so confidently with a release date and then push it back is just an unfortunate look. I'm not throwing any extra shade at them. This sucks, but yeah. it only sucks insofar as you've had to deal with being the super delayed, who knows if it's ever coming game, to finally coming back out and looking like, oh, this is a real game, to, no, oh, never mind, we need 12 more weeks. 12 weeks is very little time in the long, Brutal. in the grand scheme of things. This, is, this, is, this, this game, first of all, I'm going to say it loud and proud, does not look great. Um, you, you I have didn't like Dying Dead Light. Island to begin with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dying Light was, I'm sorry, Dead Island 1 was rough. You know, that was a game that had a lot of promise, but it was so buggy at launch. Uh, Dying Light is a fantastic game. Dying Light 2, I think, is a little bit too bloated, but it's a beautiful open world that's doing everything that Dead Island's doing and looking better while doing it. Um, so I don't have much, much faith in this, to be you honest. You know, it's, it's funny. And thinking back to that now, I feel like I remember a lot of people being hyped for Dying Light 2. And it is another game that I don't... Is it anywhere in the Game Awards? Nope. Yeah. I also it feel like though, most of the I, people I love, I love who, the open world. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, I feel like most people who I know who are really excited for it played it for like a couple hours and then this bounced out. Yeah, and I don't know what that speaks to about the game. I don't know if it's that it took too long to get to us or what, but I feel like I remember hearing uh, for months and months and months and even years after the first game came out, and now Dying Light Two has been oddly silent. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yes, but it's the reality of games. All right, finally, our last piece of news: uh, PlayStation has revealed its Black Friday deals. It includes twenty five percent off the PS Plus tiers and discounts on over five hundred games. Titles like Horizon Forbidden West and Gotham Knights have seen massive discounts already. With the latter of the two being forty percent off mere weeks after release. Did you try out Gotham Knights? I have not yet, but I got it for like fifteen bucks because I, I I traded in Splatoon three for it. So oh, uh, yeah. I, I I will be trying this out. I can't say it's a this game week. I'll try for the right price. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> for like fifteen bucks, I'm like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. But uh, th- this week, I, I'm I'm a busy boy, so. Uh, I understand that. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy boy schedule to come be on here. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Uh, So to round the show off, I figured that all of the other questions that we didn't quite get to will be a good way to end this out. So first question, uh, of course, thanks to every single person. We get a lot of responses on very short notice. Uh, Blake Post, one of our longtime listeners, uh, sharing sentiment with something that Sean One Neo is also curious about. What's the longest... Hardest plat you guys have ever gotten. That sounds like, whew. huh? Oh, sorry. When we make a sexual like like in the sound Who's thing, the longest? we go who 
Like that that's that's what it's a dumb it's a dumb sound and I apologize. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, he says, anyway, what's the uh, longest, hardest plat you guys have ever gotten? Was it worth it? Has going for a plat ever made your feelings on a game change? That is, yes. it seems like a sentence full of double entendre. Yeah, a lot of it. So I, I don't blame you. So, <laughs> yeah. but looking at that, we were talking about platinum. So I know you don't have a ton of them, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. I think he asked the real question about why me and Chris are quite different in the way we view platinum. So for you, do you have a platinum that you go to as like the one that you are the most proud of because it took you the hardest and the longest? And have you had one, be it that one or another one, that kind of made you feel either more positively towards the game or more negatively towards the game? Got it. I got it. Okay, so there's two. First, Bloodborne, always a shout out to the greatest. Um, love Bloodborne. God, it's one of those games like your Terraria. I beat it so many times. I'm like, why haven't I gotten the platinum for this? Mm-hmm. All right, because the challenge dungeons are bad. Um, but I, I love it. Got that plat. Felt great. Sekiro is the hardest platinum I've ever gotten. Hands down, barred none. And God, did I feel so great after getting that plat. Yeah. fantastic i beat that game i believe twice over did this stupendous grind for it uh and i felt great um the one that made me change my mind on the game shout out to returnal because it's a great game but with a horrible trophy list that relies on rng right to get those mm. those little um sigils i forget what they're called now but on the ground, it's it's all based on luck. I believe it's changed significantly since then. The the drop rate of those things are significantly higher. But I remember playing that thing on launch week, and I was sort of starting to sour on the game because I was looking for one last goddamn sigil and couldn't find it in the underwater level, and it was just a pain in my ass. But I got it, <laughs> and I love that game, so... You know, yeah. speaking to Returnal, Blake, the uh, person who asked the question, uh, has recently got a PS5. Uh, he's, I, I don't want to say he tends to be an Xbox person, but I think that's really a pretty fair way to do it. He right. tends to Blake, spend large sections. Blake, you make me sick. I'm throwing <laughs> up right now. But anyway, he started playing Returnal, and he's like, Returnal, awesome. And then he beat Frike and was like, oh, this is cool. And then he died, and he's like, wait, so if I die, I have to restart the entire game? I was like, it doesn't matter God how far bless. in you are. You have yeah. to restart the entire thing. And he's like... I'm done. I can't play anymore. <laughs> and I got to tell him, I felt very similar, right? I got to the second boss, uh, the second area's boss, and hard. it was at launch, hard. and it was very hard. But more importantly, Ooh. the problem I was having with stop. it is at the time, yeah. Yeah. The, the runs are so long that the game is kind of at odds with itself because if you leave a run, you're just done. So like, if I wanted to play another yeah. game, I had to, and I was in the middle of a run, I either had to just go ahead and die or just turn it off or I had to keep playing, which pushed me to this point where like, I felt like I was hating the game because it was constantly getting in my way of wanting to do other things because I was trying not to lose progress. Yep. And so now they've added the ability to put a run in sleep mode, basically, and then come back to it. And I wonder if my opinions would change. But I also just think my love, personally, of roguelike games is that the iteration of each run is quick. It's typically at most within about an hour. Like Hades, you can beat Hades in about an hour, a a successful run. Uh, And then you can keep doing that. But, you know, like if you fail 15 minutes into a run, it's like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. If you fail 45 minutes into a run, it it, it hurts, but it's like, "I, I can get back there in the same day. Every time I'd play Returnal, if I died, I was like, oh, I'm just done. I'm done for today because I can't bring myself to play two hours to get back to where I just You gotta get real sweaty. 
in yeah, that game. You've, it is rough. And I don't, yeah. that doesn't speak to the game, but speaking to the way the game was designed for me personally, I think it's bad game design for my preferences sure because it, it ends up pulling away from my ability to otherwise i typically love those like a uh, game this year that i thought looked kind of man until i played it tribes of midgard is a roguelite uh kind of work together game and i ended up loving that game and grabbing the platinum yeah. uh and that is actually one of those games where i think working toward the platinum made me love it more because it pushed me to do some of the things that i may not yeah. have otherwise done uh but have you ever had a game that getting the platinum just kind of made you, or at least working toward the platinum at the very least made you go, no, I'm, I, I don't like this game God, anymore. That's, that's such a great question. Cause I, I honestly, God, I think it's the closest is returnal. Cause it's just like how many times I got to get to this underwater level. And then like the game maybe crash on me and then that sucks. Or maybe it didn't, it didn't read it right. Uh, there's so many times where I rage quit. It's, oh, actually, yeah. Sekiro, Sekiro, the one boss, uh, an owl like figure could straight up eat my. Ass. That guy sucks. I hate his guts. Um, and that fight made me lose my God dang mind. I hate him. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Ooh. can think of a few for me. Uh, I think my hardest platinum, or at least longest that it took me to build up to it by nature of how I chose to play, I restarted multiple times with multiple friends to share my love of Terraria. That is absolutely the game that's taken me the, that took me the longest to platinum. It was seven years. <laughs> from launch to when i platinumed it Uh, or something very close to that it may have been six but it was uh, it was quite a long time Uh, so that felt really great Uh, and i actually thought playing the for the platinum there uh, it it did start to grade on me a little bit but it mostly made me love the game more because it's one of those ones where it's like you have to get every pet but the trophy is not set to what the pets were when that launch uh, the list launched instead every time the game updates and adds more pets that trophy gets harder and harder mm. and harder. Mm. So I actually ended up making, if I would have platinum the game way earlier, I probably could have had a much easier platinum. But instead, yeah. I waited until the game was like nearing one of its last updates to be like, yeah, I'm going to platinum it now. Um, but a game that I think slowly but surely kind of drew me out of it because it's just bad trophy design. And it's on me for wanting this dumb platinum like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, but Mod Nation Racers Road Trip, which is a Vita title. Oh, God, uh, I, I adore Mod Nation Racers. <laughs> it's one of my favorite kart racers of all time. That's awesome. But the, it's one of those play, create, share titles like Little Big Planet. So I got all of the trophies and had a blast getting the trophies that were for actual gameplay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, this is so good. And then I got to those last couple of trophies and it was when they were announcing that servers were going to be shut down. And so I had a month and me and a friend just sit, spent time creating dumb things and uploading them and downloading them, uploading them and downloading them. And it was like, it ended up being like 20 hours of my gameplay was that just so I, because we didn't have enough people to boost it. We were just boosting ourselves. Yeah. And that really made, it soured my legacy of that game. I still love the game, but there's like that negative thought where it's like, ah, I just wish that wouldn't have been my last memory towards getting the platinum. It's like, I like having platinums be tied to positive memories. Yeah. I'm trying to look at here. I'm still going down the list to see like, what is Kina Bridge of Spirits? I got the platinum by the glitch. Um, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's actually why I didn't. I was like, I, I'll probably do it if I could pull the glitch out, but 
I'm not worried about it. Man. I got it. I think I got it like the day before, and Kyle couldn't. And Kyle is jealous of the fact that I have that platinum. Dude, that game, uh, that game is is hard. That, it is much like God of War Ragnarok. That game, but I think Kena has a, a bigger issue because it's a game that looks like it would try not to be hard because of its more family friendly animated style. But that game is balls to the wall hard <laughs> at a couple spots. Hits you in the mouth. Yeah, oh, that yeah. was Souls like occasionally. There's a couple of boss fights where I was like, "What God." What? Dude, Dude, the final, yeah. the final boss. <laughs> I was about ready to lose my crap. I was like, "This is so hard." Yep. But it and was it, it, that challenge can be such a great sense of of dopamine. It's like yep. meth straight to the dome. It's like, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, all right. Let's see. Next question. Uh, Jehudi MD, one of our patrons. He says, what does your backlog of games look like and how do you decide to chip away at it? That's actually a really good question. I, so here's, I have a very Zen-like nature of my backlog and what it looks like. I don't have one. I refuse to. There are you games refuse, that I. You refuse the idea of a backlog, I refuse right? the idea. Are there games I. <laughs> That I have waiting for me in the wings. Sure. Like I have Gotham Knights and Plague Tale. That's the game that I'm playing next. But I'll get to them. I have no pressure to get to them. I'm on the last level of Cyberpunk. I love that game, by the way. Updates. Great game. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Judy is main. And we stand Judy. 110%. I was so disappointed. <laughs> no, you're, you're a Pan Am? Uh, no, 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 no. I, I love Pan Am too, but okay. Judy was really my girl. Yeah. But the game doesn't want her to be your girl, so it does not matter uh, for me. I was a male enough. V. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, Chris I and do. a lot of my friends tend to play as female characters in those same. games. So uh, my friend, they didn't, my, they didn't my friend face Luke. the same heartbreak as I did. <laughs> yeah, my friend Luke is like, why do you play as a female in a game? And I'm like, yeah. why do you, first off, why do you care? But secondly... Because I want, I want to be, a, I want to be a sexy lady with a gun. Who cares? A, ba- a badass, yeah. you know, badass lady with a gun. Who cares? And I knew walking in that Judy, you know, she, 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 she prefers ladies. And so I was just like, I know I'm going. I know that she's my wife, so I have to pursue her. Um, so I'm going to be female V and female V sounds way better than dude V. Oh my God. Leaps and bounds better. So I like both of them. I mean, but (laughs) fair enough. So Judy is main. We stand Judy, uh, all our, you know, depressed, you know, emo Hispanics understand the plight of Judy. So that's why we stand here so hard. Um, Oh God. (laughs) Here's the thing. Spoiled for choice because Pan Am is also my girl. Yep. And I was like, I'll, if I can say anything, I think, dude, CD Projekt Red's writing is phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. Because I'm going to tell you, it, as dumb as it sounds. I know, I, I know what you're going to say. With the disconnect, I, had, I felt like I had a connection with two <laughs> completely fictional characters. And I was like, this is a hard... Because at that point, I was playing at launch. I did not know that Judy was not a romantic option yeah. for male characters. So I was working it, man. I was like, I'm going to do this. But I was working Pan Am as like my side piece. And I was like, I was like, which one am I going to really choose? And then, and then like I at got, the same exact I, time, you're like, I have a fucking wife. <laughs> 100%. I am not going to, I'm not going to out this person one bit, Brett, but there is a married person that I know who's just like, I feel like I've had <laughs> a more of a connection with these two people than most of my oh. relationships I've had. <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, my God. You need to reevaluate. And also, I feel bad for your significant other. 
also shout out to the writing quality though. Yeah, <laughs> writing shout out and performance quality because I mean both of those characters are very well realized. They're yeah. very well written, and then the performance helps sell what was written for them. Absolutely. I mean that that game. Its characters like, are wild, dude. Johnny, oh, Johnny Silverhands. The game is brilliant. I just it's wish so it launched in a better state, but the game is too. brilliant. Johnny Silverhand, great. Anyway, but I'm on the last level, but I want to platinum the game, so I'm just doing all the side missions. Of course, it glitched out on me, so I had to, I had to restart 20 hours of the game. It's oh, great. but like I'm at the last level, and I'm just doing side missions now. But it's 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 sitting back, and and yeah. I'll get to it when I get to it. Plague Tale is there. That's the next up. Then next is probably Gotham Knights, and I'm going to play around with Cyberpunk. And then next is uh, probably either Final Fantasy, uh, Crisis Core, or you know, uh, Witcher Three hey, update. Crisis so, like, Core is a fantastic game. I, oh, love I can't that wait. Game. I can't wait. So like for me, I'm just like there's games I'm looking forward to. They're games that I have, but I'm not like stressing out about it. I'm it's not. A good I'm, way to I'm, approach it. Yeah. It's, it means in reality, life. you do have a backlog, but by choosing not to look at it as something that you have to work through, it gives you a lot of freedom. And that's really the way I approach it. Because, I mean, like, if I look at games that I have, I have games that at the moment has just not struck, struck me, despite the fact that I've bought them. Okay. I still have a sealed copy of Code Vein in my thing where my physical disc are, and I have yet to play it. Uh, I have uh, Divinity 2 Original Sin, yet to play it. So yeah. it's one of those things where like i wait for a moment to strike me and some of my favorite gaming experiences have come from me being like here's a game i've been super curious about for a long time and i'm finally just gonna i I, when i'm sitting there bored and i think like what do i want to play instead of doing that thing where you just scroll through a list i think back to one game that constantly comes to mind i'm like i probably need to get around to that and then i'll just be like i'm gonna start it and as long as it catches me right there i'll keep going and there's been some like the pathless of that for me earlier this year i was very apprehensive about it whenever it launched because I thought it was a little expensive for something I was yep. unsure of. Yep. And then I played it and I was like, oh, this game's great. Like I would have gladly spent 40, 50, whatever it was for this game. Absolutely. But I'm glad that I got to have that experience without having to worry about it being tied to it being a launch-ish title. And So it's, sometimes it's nice to play things at a way. So looking at my backlog of games right now, I want to get back to uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed and, and actually beat it and complete it. Um, I want to get back to um there's a couple of games that, that are indie games that i'm wanting to get around to cult of lamb is one of them one of them it's just so came bad. out today actually that looks amazing and i really want to play it but i'm Ooh. trying to wait for chris Evil West? ship of fools oh ship of fools yeah it's a it's a it's a co-op uh roguelite where you go through and you're on a ship and basically you have roles on a ship. It's like a 2D top-down style game. You should definitely check it out. I think it looks really great. I've been, okay. me and Chris have been looking at it all year long. Like this looks really cool. Uh, so there's a number of those. Of course, Need for Speed's on the horizon. So I wouldn't call it backlog, mm-hmm. but it's a game that's very much in my head of what do I need to play. Pokemon sitting there, but it, I wouldn't call it a backlog game because I don't intend to really get around to it. Uh, right. I'd say past that. Um, there's games, you know, a lot of times oh, this game I dip looks in. Derpy, I'm in. I'm sorry. I, I'm, yeah, I'm it looks it. great. Yeah. yeah. Oh it, it looks super charming. Uh, yeah. Persona 5 is forever on my backlog because Chris would kill me if I said it wasn't. Chris, I know you listen to these things. So uh, th- there you it's are. A, <laughs> listen, it's okay, Chris, to admit that Persona 5 is uh, it's a bit much. It's, uh, it's a bit much. Yeah. At least it's a it's a it's a lot to ask of someone. Let's, it is we a can lot. Say that much. I um, 
<laughs> There's some people I tease about it. Listen, I love you, Persona fans. I'm happy for you guys. But man, oh man, every time I make it 45 minutes of that game, and I take a nap. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much. But I'm glad y'all like it. Yeah, I think uh, that that's all. I mean... Looking at things that I'm truly interested in playing, I know there's more on my plate. Plague Trail uh, Requiem is one of them because uh, I quite loved Innocence, though I've, yeah. I've heard things that have shook my confidence in that. But it, really. when things shake my confidence, it kind of just makes me want to play it more because I'm always like, am I going to feel that same way? Yeah. Uh, that's heard, always I my very... I heard it's fan, nothing but great things, so... I've heard, a, I've heard a few things that it falls apart towards the end, but... Yeah, you know, same, I mean, with it, same with Innocence a little bit. It gets a little wacky and crazy, but whatever. Like, I quite I like liked the ending of Innocence. I thought it was like Same. a good power fantasy, but no, nah, you know, yeah. depends on what you want. So uh, they are Jehudi. Next one comes from another from Sean One Neo. He says, "I'm near the end of uh, Modern Warfare Two, which is something you can speak on on yeah. Veteran, and I have only earned two trophies Uh-oh. so far. While this is a great game, I'm disappointed they decided to remove individual trophies for completing missions, and always wondered why they don't have trophies for X kills with X weapon, etc. Thoughts? So you're near the platinum." What is your thoughts as someone who has actually worked through the existing trophy list? And do you wish it was something a little different? Um, Certain levels have trophies to them. So the, the level alone uh, has one where I forget the, I I think it's like, don't be seen at all or no, or it's like, don't use, don't use a gun. Right. In alone. So this is some dishonored level trophies. Dude. At least it's only a mission, not a whole game. Yeah. Alone (laughs) is an awesome mission from for, for a COD title because it is very much reminiscent of The Last of Us and Resident Evil. You're being hunted down. You are wounded. A whole army is looking for you in this Mexican villa, um, and you need to survive any way you can. So you're foraging. Like You eventually get a knife that then eventually gets to a gun to eventually get a submachine gun. But like you don't have a lot of health, so like you can't get into engagements. You gotta think really smart. I played that on veteran, okay, that level on veteran, and it took me two hours, uh, mm. full stop, and a help with a guide. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that 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 level is rough. So there are certain like things you do in a level that'll get you a trophy. You just got to take a look at it, but it's very achievable. If you get it through veteran, chances are you could get then turn off the difficulty uh, and do all the things that I mentioned. I know there, there's a couple of them, like the one of the, the car jumping from roof to roof. I think it's like jump on like six different cars, but it has to be different makes. So like you're jumping on a cargo ship, but like you might actually have to jump on like cars that are on the side of the road. Um, all different types of stuff. This, this trophy list is a lot of fun because it's about playing with aspects of the game rather than just playing uh, a level in the game. It reminds me of A Way Out, where I really like that you can play the entirety of A Way Out and not get a single trophy because mm-hmm. you didn't take time to explore the world. Yeah. Uh, and I like how every trophy is just tied to one small action, typically, uh, w- that's just in every chapter. Where it's like, this is just some off-separate thing you can do. And I liked it because there's something about being like, I saw a bird in a cage and I had the opportunity to open the cage and I chose to do it. The game didn't tell me that. I just took it upon myself. Oh, look, I got a trophy and you're for rewarded that. for it. Yeah. It feels like true discovery trophies, whereas sometimes I look at mission-based trophies where it's just like, oh, you completed this mission. And I'm like, well, it's just padding for the trophy list because it's, yeah. it's basically saying like, we're going to make sure that you get to like 35, 40 or something percent of our trophy list uh, mm-hmm. just for beating the game. And I'm not saying that's an issue. I don't mind those, but the, there is something about 
about trophy lists that force you to play within the means of what the game can offer that are really fun. Uh, yeah. I felt that way about uh, Deathloop's Platinum. I thought it was a very fun Platinum to get. And I, it was I still got to get that one. I'm yeah, it's a super it. fun Platinum. So, <laughs> I really, so much fun. And it's, it's that idea. And, and as much as I personally can't bring myself to worry about any of the Dishonored ones where it's like you have to play through the entire game without being seen, play through the entire game without killing anyone. And I know you're supposed to try and stack those runs, but they're such... They're very hard things to look at, and I'd be like, that seems like a lot. And I know that some yeah. people revel in that challenge, and I'm glad that they do. Uh, but for me, it's, it's a little rough. Uh, speaking yeah. on Call of Duty, I haven't played a Call of Duty um, but, uh, since, in terms of new. I haven't played one since uh, <laughs> Hot Take. Uh, my favorite Call of Duty of the last gen that I did play um, was... Infinite Warfare, uh, and oh, okay. I was working towards Platinum on that because I think the campaign for that game is flawless. It's so good. It it's is got really a beautiful good. story. It, it understands pacing of gameplay, and anytime you're about to start getting bored with any one aspect, it's like, are you getting a little bored with boots on the ground? Bam, we're going to put you in uh, a, a dogfight in space. And then, oh, yep. you're getting a little tired of this dogfight in space? Zero gravity. Oh, you're getting a little tired of zero gravity? Guess what? You're going to be stealth riding the ship. It's like yep. the game constantly keeps you on your toes and has a great story and great shooting mechanics, and I love the the idea of being able to set your like having the the mass effect almost style hub area where you set your loadout before you got on missions i the biggest unfortunate thing about games that don't do well enough is that they tend to throw out the baby with the bathwater on yeah. good ideas because they're like yeah. wow that game didn't do good you don't look at why people thought it didn't do good you just take every new idea and we're like well we're not doing those ever again and that sucks exactly because I was working towards platinum on that game and I got every story trophy up until the point where I realized that that trophy that platinum relies on zombies which is a game mode i don't really care for i tried and it was hard and i didn't have anybody to do it with me and i just quit but i did quite love that so either way i'm with you on this it's unfortunate for people that just like trophies and kind of like you said everyone should be able to get them and one way to easily guarantee that i'm not saying i agree with that i don't disagree i also i hate multiplayer trophies and i'm good at multiplayer games I hate them because it puts an expiration date on the Platinum, which is another double-sided sword, right? It's like, if the game is not inherently online, then why not make sure that your trophy list is good in perpetuity? But at the same time, I get it. But that's also what led to me going back to uh, Killzone Mercenary and having a blast this year. So maybe maybe there's there's a... Upside to everything. Uh, all right, moving on. We got one more question here, and I think I know the answer from you, but there's a secondary question within here that I think is okay. interesting. Uh, the Skinny Rage says, will y'all be watching the Gran Turismo Championships this week? If not, what is your overall feelings on esports and spectating games in general, and also your thoughts on in-game rewards for watching streams? Uh, so I think Ooh. I can pretty safely say Joe will not be watching the Gran Turismo can't, Championships. Can't tell you that I am. <laughs> Uh, and I will mirror the same thing. I I will not. Uh, I quite love Gran Turismo, but I am way too busy to even worry about that. That's part of why I think I've never gotten too into sports. I don't have enough time to dedicate to that and still keep my other hobbies in check. Uh, but looking at the idea of esports and spectating games in general, uh, where do you fall on that? Because I find that while all competitive aspects of anything, I can watch a sport and notice when a great moment's happening. I think everyone does. And even though I don't care about football, if you see something amazing happen, you're kind of like, you get swept up in that moment. So there are times where I've seen things while watching people do competitive gaming, esports, 
that I'm like, oh, this is like the moment's cool, but it's never been enough to draw me to it as a long-term thing. Yeah. Uh, and I've never really gotten the idea of watching people play games, though I know plenty of people love it. So where do you stand on those? So for me, uh, my feelings on esports, uh, I'm glad that they're around, though, again, for working on the inside for the short while, it's very toxic. And um, things definitely need changing there. Absolutely do. Uh, that said, I I admire the pro scene because you can take a look at what they're doing and try to break down the math and the physics that are at play. Um, whether it's like Overwatch, which I've I've taken a, a peek at, Fortnite, you could see and try to understand why they they do the things they do, uh, stack the weapons they stack or build the way they build uh, and and kind of try to replicate it. I like the personalities that I've seen thus far in the Twitter or sorry, Twitch space. Um, there's been a few people that I'm like, I generally, <laughs> I dig their vibe. So I'll go and follow them. And I feel like I, I watch some of them because I like their personalities more than their gameplay themselves sure. and the communities that they build. And as a creator, I'm looking at that going, okay, I see what they're doing there. I, I could see how I could implement something here, uh, those type of things. But usually I'm not like watching people on Twitch. If I'm watching people on Twitch or, 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 or you know, YouTube, it's because they're my friends. Um, yeah. More sure. than anything. Yeah. Support. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I am. I mean, I, I think that there's value in it all. And I definitely love the aspect of watching people creative problem solve in gaming um, yeah. and and see how far they're willing. It's something that you see in uh, competitive in a different sense, but speedrunning, which is a very, uh, it's an skewed version of competitive Dude, gaming. <laughs> it is so, it is so cool. Like you're see, I, I love, IGN does something really cool or they used to, I don't know if they kept, kept doing it, where they bring in devs to talk about a game game that they've made. So like I watched one where it's about uh, Halo Combat Evolved while someone beat it by the time that conversation ends. So it's like someone beat Halo in an hour, 30 minutes, and you're seeing the devs talk about the process of making this game. And then you just see them stop going, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. Or they found that thing in there that yeah. we knew was broken and they they used it. Like that's so, so cool to me. I don't know if IGN continued it, but they did one as a 20 minute death loop run. Mm-hmm. And that was insanity, and and it was so cool watching the developers be like, "Oh yeah, we never really thought that that could be abused that way." And what's great is that the developers know how they're getting over these things. Like as soon as they yeah. see it, they they realize, but they're like, "We never thought that someone would think to look at that. Like yes. we never thought someone would try to break the barriers and get out of there." So we weren't thinking about it. And I really like that developers never seem to get mad. Yeah. They're always like amazed, like, "Wow." That's kind of yeah. cool. Look at how they kinda... look how they broke the game. That's like, yeah, that's wild. Uh, so I think it's it's fun to watch that thing of people break down something that someone someone made, but them yeah. not be upset and instead be like, "Wow, you can really learn a lot about how you choose to make games by looking at how people choose to deconstruct your game to get an extra second out of it." That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's um, pretty. I, I I love that. And when it comes to like the in game rewards, I like that they're beginning to tie that into it. But I also feel like it's it's padding for getting oh, for these sure. sort of thing. I know sure. how many times I've turned on the Halo Championships and uh, just left it that tab up. I just don't do it every time. I'm be honest. It, it's it's a sheer. I can't. 
I don't think it's a good thing to do. I think it's pretty nasty and it's clearly trying to get people to do something so that they can benefit. It pumps numbers. It looks fake. I just think for my values as a person, even though it would benefit me, I would rather just not have the stuff. This is going to sound weird, but I'm to the point where like most of the benefits that you get from stupid things, like even, even pre-ordering benefits um, are getting to a point where I just don't do it. Like I got the collector's edition for God of War. I didn't even enter the collector's edition code. I didn't care. I just played the game with what was supposed to be in the game. And I, and the the collector's edition code is just sitting there. Uh, So speaking of God of War, we have a giveaway copy that uh, we are going to announce the winner of uh, tonight. Now, sadly, because I was in a rush, I did not prepare that. So I'm going to announce that on Twitter. Uh, But thank you to everyone who announced in. We did a cool giveaway where it was uh, talk about your favorite boss fight across the, the series long history. And I was very happy to see that there was a pretty even divide of people talking about prior to 2018 God of War and then Mm -hmm. 2018 God of War. Uh, So that's pretty cool. So we'll announce that. But to wrap the show up, and man, I'm going to tell you, I didn't expect this to be that long. So thank you for sticking with me on this. Oh, dude, (laughs) it flew by, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but I want to take you back up on whether or not did you want to pose a question for the community's take, or did you want to leave that up to me? You know, I'll I'll leave it up to you. But let me well, let me think. Let me think real fast. A community question. You know what? I'm going to leave it up. I'm going to leave it to the expert because <laughs> I'm going to say something dumb. And you're like, oh, we already had that question. I'm like, well, no, you're fine. It is what uh, it is. I think a good way to wrap this up, this was my backup plan all along, was to look at the fact that we're in Thanksgiving, we're talking about the Game Awards, and we're talking about celebrating games, yeah. and there's no time like now to just take a step back and go, you know what? For all the things that we talk about being thankful for, this is a hobby that I'm so glad that many of us get to do. So instead of looking at something that's timely to the news or something that's happening in the industry, how about you just tell us, your five games that you're thankful for this year. Doesn't matter if you think they deserve awards. It doesn't matter what it is. Five games that you're thankful for and for whatever reason that you choose to share or not share, I'd love to hear them. And maybe we can get a couple of new games on our radar as a result. I like it. I like it, bro. All right. Well, there we go, man. Uh, First and foremost, before we wrap anything up, I think you need to tell these lovely people where they can find you. Well, listen, you can find me over at Mr. Badbit on both Twitter and Hive. You can find the show at PS Trophy Room on Twitter as well as Hive. And uh, humble brag, currently uh, we are the number one PlayStation podcast on Hive. And we need to keep that. We need to keep that momentum. We're at 76 followers on Hive. Sure, we are at 3,000 on Twitter. But like, that's numbers are numbers. 76, huge for Hive, I think. Uh, uh, so, you know, <laughs> let's bump those numbers up. Let's see. Let's see if we can break this little humble app right here. That said, you can follow the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast. If you liked my voice for some other reason, I don't know why, follow me at the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast. It is where each and every, usually Thursday, me and my best friend Kyle talk about the latest and greatest in all things PlayStation. So once you're done listening here, you can literally listen to the latest show that we did over there where we did a huge predictions run of Jeff Keighley's Game Awards. And let me tell you, I get a little grumpy halfway through because Games for Impact Award? Come on. What does that <laughs> even mean, guys? What what does that even mean? And yeah, do we have a funny Brazzers joke at the Sony and Honda collab? Absolutely we do. But all that and more over at the Trophy Room, a PlayStation podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you find your podcast service of choice, you can find the Trophy Room there. There you go. 
Thank you so much for having me, Brett. This was fantastic. I can't believe we did three hours. Is this the longest episode you guys have done? It's one of them. Chris and I have a tendency to go longer since we're very conversationally based. Sure. Uh, you know, everyone approaches podcasts a little differently. So this isn't completely abnormal for us, but I am surprised that we reached it here. And I very surprised. I am glad that it wasn't, it was reciprocal and that you were yeah. often talking just as much because there was a few yeah. times where I was like, I hope I'm not holding his night up, but I no. really appreciate it. And I know that they, we have a number of yeah. listeners who love long episodes. Okay. So they have a, a nice, juicy, here's some double entendre for you, episode mm-hmm. for you to put in your ear holes. <laughs> but Joe, thank you, man. I really appreciate you coming in on such last minute. I know we had planned for one of you guys, if not both of you, to come on to the show in, uh, in 23 after y'all get some of your award stuff out of the way. Um, but it's cool that this happened. And uh, I think, uh, much like you said, you've been one of the favorite guests we've had on the show. So with that in mind, I would love for us to occasionally stop by each other's show. If you feel so, uh, so inclined to have us and we of course feel inclined to have you. Uh, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, man. Without further ado, we would like to shout out our patrons who went over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar and really their time to support the show. So without further ado, we want to give a shout out to Barry Rogers, Stingray X, It's a Sin to Win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Stephen Salazar, and last but certainly not least, Shadowist. Thank you all. We'll see you next week.